everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Fourth String Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Brady, with my co-host, Mitch and Skyler. Uh, gentlemen, the college football regular season is over. Um, now we've just got bowl games and everything to look forward to. The NBA season, can you guys believe that we're already like a quarter of the way through the NBA season? And we haven't, well, a third of the way through the NBA season, and we haven't really touched on it at all. Um, and then you're muted right now, Skyler. And then you're, you're muted, muted right now, Skyler. Muted. Damn it. <laughs> and then, uh, and then pro football, we are, we're, we're gearing up for the back half. We've got about four to five weeks left of professional football, depending on, on uh, your, your team's bye week and everything. So we got a great episode planned for you guys. Uh, but let's start with the NBA. Uh, so we're just going to do a quick breakdown of the NBA standings, uh, how they, how they look right now. Um, the one seed in the East the Brooklyn Nets followed a half game behind them by the Chicago Bulls. A uh, game behind Chicago, we have the reigning champs, the Milwaukee Bucks, followed by the Heat, the Wizards, and the Cavaliers to round out the top six. If the season were to end today, the play-in tournament would have the Boston Celtics at the 10th seed squeak in, as well as the Charlotte Hornets to play, uh, respectfully, the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers. So starting over here on the East, it's an insane looking standings given given our expectations walking into the season. Chicago at the two seed, uh, Boston being only a half game into the playoffs. I mean, the Knicks are right behind them, a, game, a half game back. Uh, Atlanta and Philadelphia, two solid teams. Uh, Philadelphia had a great start to the season, being towards the back half. What kind of stands out in the Eastern Conference to you guys as of right now? Uh, to me, I'm just. I think you kind of said in the beginning, uh, just the Chicago Bulls of how they played so far. Um, I really underrated how good, uh, you know, Zach Levine, Lonzo, and DeMar DeRozan would be as a trio. They've been doing the work. I mean, they only have nine losses, which is astounding for a team that's kind of been, you know, at the bottom of the Eastern Conference for a couple of years now, uh, you know, since the DeRozan uh, injury. So it's kind of cool to see them come back into prominence because I think the East is better when the Bulls are relevant. Um, so just that, you know, trio of uh, really underrated players together is cool to see. Um, and then the 76ers has been interesting. Um, I know they're like the seventh right now and have to play in the playing tournament. But, I mean, Joel Embiid's been, you know, hurt as usual for a bit. But 76ers show when, you know, Embiid's, you know, healthy, they really don't need Ben Simmons in their lineup to be good. If, uh, you know, Embiid can just stay healthy for the majority of the season, I don't see how they can't get into the top six um, for the Eastern Conference fi- Eastern Conference uh, when it comes to playoff time. I mean, for me, it's probably the fact that, you know, f- like in the last two playoffs, four teams that were playoff teams are now in the bottom of the stack. Like uh, Knicks, Toronto, you know, two years ago, won a national won, – won the, the championship. Yeah. Um, Indiana, who was a perennial – uh, playoff team and then Orlando who always managed to squeak in maybe not um, maybe not always playing the best but they were always there um, and are replaced with you know Washington Cleveland and Chicago like fuck damn like good I I, I, I remember the D-Roche Bulls and those were a great Bulls team and this team is kind of in that vein but it's it's more of uh, Levine and, and DeRozan 
with the scoring and and uh, Lonzo doing what he's supposed to do, which is be a facilitator. He's getting the ball to his to his playmakers, and it's working for him. Um, and then uh, Cleveland, uh, just this the 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 baffling season Cleveland's had so far. It's it's been good. Um, I know they did lose. It wasn't Garland, uh, Colin Sexton um, yeah. to the season, so that could hurt some of it. But also, I mean, they've actually played better since they've lost Colin Sexton, which is weird too um but i mean again like i i don't think that there's any like we're talking about boston and charlotte and those guys being at the bottom i don't think there's any cause for concern because um 10 and uh 10 and 6 in the standing is separated by a game so it's like cleveland philadelphia atlanta charlotte charlotte and boston are all separated by a game right now and uh even then boston is still only four games back from brooklyn so there's there's no um there's no cause for concern. This the, these standings are going to change, especially with Brooklyn and Chicago there at the top. But it, I, I mean, it just it's it's what I'm expecting of the East now is just crazy unexpected standings at different times of the year. And I feel like we should screenshot these, and then by the time playoffs start, be like, look what could have happened. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll do that. I'll do that right now. I'm gonna I'll screenshot the East, uh, and I'll screenshot the West, and then we can kind of look at it again, and you know, in the next couple of weeks. But for me, the East. It's really just going to come down to who who the fuck can stay the healthiest. I mean, we look at we look at Brooklyn, who's obviously the number one seed, but they're doing all this pretty much without Kyrie Irving. Um, we look at Milwaukee, who has played a, a lot of the season either without Drew Holiday or without Chris Middleton, or even games without Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, well, Brooke Lopez has been only in one game so far. Yeah, Brooke Lopez, and he just had back surgery, so he's probably going to be out longer. Yeah, you know, I mean, the hope is to get him back for the playoffs, which I think is an absolute must for Milwaukee. But, but that's a huge injury. We look at, we look at, um, you know, Cleveland. We talked about Colin Sexton getting hurt. We look at Philadelphia doing. It, it, honestly, it's astonishing Philadelphia is above five hundred in the seventh seed, given that they're doing all that without Ben Simmons. You know, such a key part yeah. of that team. But what I'm looking at right now is that fourth seed Miami team, man. I mean, Miami got bounced by Milwaukee, you know, in the first round of the playoffs last year. Um, and this was a Miami team that I didn't think they did a lot through free agency. I didn't like what they did through the draft. Obviously their biggest pickup was Kyle Lowry, but this is a Miami team that is only two game, two and a half games outside of the number one seat. Now, granted, there are only two games outside of being out of the playoffs to so take it for what it's worth, but this is Miami team that's 15 and 11. They're seven and four at home. They're eight and seven on the road, nine and five in conference. Um, you know, they, this is, it's a solid Miami team that's dangerous. And this is given that Duncan Robinson hasn't played great. This is given that Tyler Hero hasn't played great. Like this is given that. Um, Jimmy Adebayo, Butler's been out for some time. Jimmy Butler's been out for some time. Bam Adebayo has uh, uh, a tear, I think, in his right thumb or something. He's been hurt. Yeah. Too. The fact that this team is as beaten up as they are, and Kyle Lowry and Eric Spolster and what they've done has taken them to the four seed right now, that's that's a huge thing. Um, Skyler's Snapchat and bitches. Um, oh, it just so, looked like I, it looked like you took a front photo with your camera because you did. I saw a little flash and you were like, <laughs> so a quick thing before well, that, that was, was, that was West. sorry, no, that was more of just uh, uh. The I can't remember what it was. It was Brady said something stupid, and that's just my face when Brady says something stupid. It's a very similar face. I'll give him that, though. So, uh, quick thing before we go to the West. Uh, Skyler mentioned the Wizards, and it totally reminded me of what I wanted to say. Uh, 
How about more former Lakers helping out uh, teams? You know, the Wizards had that big trade to get rid of Westbrook and they get like, you know, Kyle Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell and they've helped uh, them get up to the fifth seed in the East. And, you know, Lonzo, former Lakers, got the Bulls in the second seed. So it's just interesting how these guys just do, you know, better once they leave L.A. Well, you're not even talking about Mr. Bald Eagle, Alex Caruso, playing for the Bulls right now either. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it's, It's crazy. It's so funny to see the Lakers who I think – like, I think in hindsight we would – as of right now, we would look at those, like, immediately post-Kobe years but pre-LeBron James years as, like, really some of the best drafting we've seen out of the Lakers in a very long time, but none of the benefits from it are reaped by the Lakers. They, they, you know, sending everybody away. But is that more of – is that, like, good drafting or is it horrible coaching? Because – You know, it's it's – one way or another, the Lakers look incompetent for it. And the only right, thing yeah. grace, obviously, is like they did win a championship. They, it, you know, these trades gave them Anthony Davis and gave them LeBron James and gave them Russell Westbrook. And, you know, so like it's, it's, it's obviously like, would you be where you're at with those guys right now? You know, you wouldn't have won a championship, but it also if you had those guys. You wouldn't be having the problems you yeah. are right now. You know, it, yeah. exactly. So, that's a really good point, Mitch, and I think that that's something that we're going to continue to hammer on until LeBron James or Anthony Davis leaves the Lakers. You know, it's that's going to be that that permanent debate that's there. Um, the only thing is that now with like the Lonzo Ball situation, you kind of also have to throw the Pelicans into that and be like, oh, look at these dumbasses for also letting him go. But that's expected out of the New Orleans Pelicans. Let's be one hundred percent honest. Well, and New Orleans also put in all of the work to help Lonzo fix his his uh, shot and then ship them away. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move over to the West. The West looks drastically different from the East. In the East, there is a total of four and a half games between the one seed and the 10th seed. In the West, there's a total of 10 games between those teams. Uh, Number one, the Golden State Warriors a half game behind them, the Phoenix Suns. Golden State is back, baby. Um, after Phoenix at the two seed, we have Utah, Memphis, the Clippers, and the Lakers to round out the top six. And in the play-in tournament, Dallas at seven, Denver at eight, Minnesota at nine, and the Sacramento Kings at ten. A couple of very notable teams off of that list right now um, as as being in the, in the play-in tournament. Number one, obviously being the Portland Trailblazers, sitting at 11 and 15. So taking a look at the West, same same question to you, boys. What stands out to the West, given the current status about a third of the season into the NBA, uh, or a third of the way into the NBA season? Yeah, man, there's so much that kind of stands out. Um, you know, just going to start from the bottom to go up. Uh, you know, we talked about the Pelicans and how incompetent they've been, and then the whole, like um, – you know, the whole Zion situation he hasn't played yet. And then there was like concerns that he might be leaving afterwards and he was supposed to be the, you know, the savior after Anthony Davis left and they might lose him. Now the whole Portland trail business thing with their ex GM and the whole game, will he leave? Will he stay kind of thing that I think has been hurting them a lot. Um, I think the Lakers, you know, acquisitions of being the oldest team is starting to hit them now being at 500. Um, and then going to the teams that are like uh, play that would be in the playoffs. Um, 
you know, Golden State's done an amazing job. Um, I think Andrew Wiggins has really stepped up even from last year. Um, and I would be shocked if anybody else but Steph Curry wins MVP this year because the dude's been on fire. Um, to, and you know, the, Thompson as well. yeah, and they might not even need Clay Thompson to win a championship just how cohesive they've been with, as a team. Um, and it's nice to see the Suns uh, be consistent, you know, instead of just being like, yeah, that one great year that we had and then everything went back to shit. So it's nice to see them still do some good things. And, um, you know, Brady, you might be have to eat your words uh, if this continues for the LA Clippers. They're the number five seed. They don't have Kawhi. Ty Lue's kind of doing a hell of a job for what he's has. Um, I will never give Ty Lue anything resembling credit as a head coach. Um, and part of that is just uh, stubbornness. Know, it's just general stubbornness. Yeah. Part of it is because he went to Nebraska. Part of it is oh, I'm kidding. Um, I Ty Lue represents a lot that I don't like about professional sports, which is where athletes get coaches certain jobs. And I hope to eat my words with Ty Lue. I'd like to see him be successful. But right now, I've only seen the guy coach um, verified superstars. And yeah, they haven't had Kawhi, but we're 26 games into the season. There are two games above 500. There's a lot left. If the Clippers keep it up, if the Clippers end the season in the top four, if the Clippers can make it to the East or the Western Conference Finals or something along there, and they do that without Kawhi, or they do that with another terrible set of performances by Paul George, yeah, man, I'll give him, I'll, I'll give Ty Lue a lot of credit, you know. But I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent certain. Um, I, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm never going to be a hundred percent sold on Ty Lue. I am a hundred percent sold that the Lakers are a struggling team. I am 100% sold on the Memphis fucking Grizzlies. I'll tell you that right fucking now. I love what that team is doing. But, Skyler, before I get into my stuff, what do you want to talk about with the West? Oh, well, first <laughs> off, uh, the two most hated coaches on this podcast, at least by Brady Russell, um, have the same record right now. Doc Rivers and Ty Lue, both losing one of their their superstars, um, have the same record. <laughs> um, I, I, I just got to say, it's like, we're talking about the parody, like the parody in the East versus the like just dominance of Golden State, at least Golden State and Phoenix um, yeah. in the West. Um, but of like in the East, through spread throughout, you have a majority of these teams having a, a, a positive plus minus differential. In the West, the top five teams are the only teams with positive point uh, plus minus differential. Um, and it's Golden State with with 13 points. They're averaging beating their in a game, beating their opponent by 13 points. Everyone else, all, all other <clears throat> uh, 14 teams or all other 10 teams. Uh, yeah. All other 10 teams have a negative uh, points, including the Lakers and Dallas and Denver. Um, all Memphis teams. It has that... a difference of like point. Let me check it. It's like point three. Like it's, it's, a yeah, it's, it's very, it's very minimal. So, so I, I think that we're going to see this teams like Golden State when they get clay back and teams like Utah that are also in like 10 that have a double digit point differential they're probably going to separate themselves from the rest of the pack Phoenix is doing good right now but they're still they're not being as dominant they have the third highest points for uh point plus minus but they're still not nearly as dominant and then also Houston the Rockets they're on a seven game win streak and I know that's not a lot when they're eight and 16 but they've won seven games in a row so that's that's something that you, you kind of have to because then, then you can either use those players for trade 
yeah. potential because you're like, hey, look what these guys are doing on a shitty ass team. Or you can give some hope for a rebuild to a franchise that has struggled since trading away all of their good players and letting um, uh, the beard get fat. Um, but yeah, for that, I. Is that I, a euphemism? It is. It is a euphemism. <laughs> letting the beard get fat. Um, I, I also just have to say, Golden State is scary right now. And the fact that they're going to be adding another another uh, all-star who is very very eager to get back on that court um and not only an all nba player um and one of the best shooters in the nba but also an all defensive player and probably one of the best two-way uh guards since jordan um that's scary that's really scary uh for golden state and i like i i don't i don't want to know what that team is going to look like He's only the seventy seventh best, so. Eh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like that's not like that's not bullet bulletin board material. That he the fact that he yeah he wasn't on the top seventy five. Oh, that that was uh, that's gonna be, Clay Thompson's gonna. I hope he wears that jersey. I hope he does too. I hope he does too. Change his number for a year. His jersey just has like a set of middle fingers up right next to but uh, yeah, I mean the the West is the West to me is is I think it's slightly more normal than the East is. You know, you're not the West isn't that, like the fucking uh, San Antonio Spurs who haven't been good in fucking six years or the number two seed. You know, yeah. like that's not what the West looks like. What I like is that Phoenix hasn't turned into Jacksonville. Like yeah. it's not like you've had one good year and then everything has <laughs> turned to shit. Phoenix looks like there's there's genuine and sustainable growth there. And that's like that's not even taking into account the whole storyline of like their owner being a, a, a verified racist um, and that whole situation that's happening with the NBA right now. But yeah, but um, this is a Memphis team that without John ja Moran uh, just a couple of days ago, absolutely crushed the Lakers. They won by 13 points, but that game was not even that close. Um this is a Memphis team that, that with some of those trades that they made in previous years, you know, adding guys like Jonas Valanciunas and drafting really well, this is this is a dangerous-looking Memphis team. And I think given the playoff struggles that we've seen from teams, especially the Utah Jazz, uh, who seem to be such a dominant regular season team, but then it all kind of seems to fall apart right at the, right at the time the playoffs start, this is a Memphis team that I'd be worried about uh, in the playoffs. This is a Memphis team I think can do a lot of damage. What um, the other team to talk about there is the team that without that playing tournament would be very at risk of being on the outside looking in, and that's the Denver Nuggets. Uh, this is a Denver team that in the last couple of seasons has at times looked like a team that could not only make it to the NBA Finals, but could win the NBA Finals. Not too long ago, Nikola Jokic was the, the league MVP. The, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is a solid player. They got, you know, they're, they're a lot healthier than they have been, though they still have some injuries. Like, this is, a, this is supposedly a really good Denver Nuggets team, and they are below 500 and 5-9 five and nine on the road. Like, this is, this is a, 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 a struggling Denver team that should not be struggling as bad as they are right now. Well, they are missing two players. I mean, Jamal Murray is a very huge to them going to winning a championship or not, and Michael Porter Jr. having the – what was it? It's like yeah. nerve issues or something like that, that he's going to be out for a while. That hurts. Uh, the refusal to play Bobo for whatever reason. I, I don't understand that, but yeah. And Jokic just, yeah. Yeah. Jokic just had the shoulder to load kind of by himself. 
Well, yeah, and even even yeah, like like last season, Jam- the Nuggets is that is that they have not built a solid team. They have three solid players, but they have not built an actual solid team, and that's why they're struggling. If we look at the rest of the West, you look at the teams that are playing well. Golden State has built a solid team around their stars. Phoenix has built a solid team around their stars. Memphis, Utah have built solid teams around their stars, but. The Clippers, the Lakers, the Nuggets, the uh, Mavericks, those teams are... Trailblazers. The Trailblazers, those teams are a star and then the rest of the team. Or there may be two stars and then the rest of the team. And that's that's the difference in the West right now is which is the better overall team. Well, and even when we're looking at Golden State, it's... uh, and, And like the Suns and stuff like that, it's like, well the third leading scorer on Golden State is Jordan Poole. And no, I don't think anybody would ever consider him to be a star. Like, he's really good at what he does, but nobody would consider him a star. I mean, you also have... a star for my fantasy team. I I imagine that. I mean, but like, even like, like looking at some of the other guys that they have that are like filling that, that, that uh, wing player that they're missing in uh, um, play. I mean, you got Poole and Lee is averaging eight and a half. Porter Jr. has been doing some good things with them too with seven and a half. Um, Gary Payton the second has been reemerged like filling that like I like he came out of nowhere. I mean he's not like still scoring a shit ton of points, but he's been a very uh um very good defensive piece for them. And all of these guys are averaging above 15-ish minutes. And then having Andre Iguodala back also just that veteran core piece that knows exactly how Steve Kerr wants to run his um his team. I I, I have to say the next uh, US men's uh, head coach, uh, Steve. As he should be. As he should be. Um, doing great things. And not even to mention Kaminga and Moody, who were two who were two guys that we all loved coming into the draft that haven't had to play a ton of minutes because they have so much depth on this team. I agree with Brady in that. When you're looking at Denver, that's a fault on Denver as an organization. You One, it's not getting in this offseason knowing that Jamal Murray is going to be out for a little bit and not finding a, a suitable point guard to replace him. Two, it's just drafting Michael Porter. Like, I'm sorry, you knew he had back issues. That was what took him out. And you knew that that could be sustaining and and result in some other things. It really sucks for Michael Porter because he's been doing great things. He's res- he last season he uh, had a resurgent year. He was doing great things and it was looking bright for him. But like those are some things that they, like you 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 take those chances when you're expecting Jamal Murray to be back and you think you can hold off for that, or when you draft a player that has a a bad back, like especially with the the height that he is at six ten. Like that's just gonna get worse for him. It's not gonna get any better. Um, so I agree. I think the Nuggets will be in an okay place. They still have some of the best players, but it's going to take a while because Jamal Murray was part of that reason why a lot of people thought that they could win a championship. They had the best yeah. record in the West until Jamal yeah. Murray went out. So it, it is what like, it is. Like at this point, you know, at this point in the NBA season is the same as, as our week five, uh, week six check-in in the NFL season. The NFL is drastically different. I mean, at that point, I think when we did that at that point, like the Raiders and the Bengals were the respective lead seeds in the AFC, you know, where the one, yeah. both of those teams. Now the Bengals, not so much, but both of those teams, there's a solid chance. They might not even make the playoffs at this point. Now, granted, obviously you play a lot more games in the NFL than you do in, or a lot more games in the NBA than you do in the NFL, but there is still, depending on your team, there's, there's 50 or so games left in the NBA season. Like there's a long ways to go. So again, you know, I took screenshots. We'll we'll see what the standings look like when we're at you know maybe the halfway point or the two thirds mark of the NBA season. But 
keep it. I wouldn't be surprised if we have an aggressive trade deadline either. No, not at all, especially with – I haven't looked too far into it, but I do know that there's talks of, of uh, some three-way deal for Ben Simmons, including Portland in that situation. Yeah, I'm sure Portland's going to do something to keep Dame and get them back to prominence. I'm sure LeBron's going to start wheeling and dealing. Uh, Denver could finally say, if we're serious about this, we got to give Jokic help and – you know, contenders on the east side, maybe Boston does something to get themselves back up there again, and no. so on and so forth. No. <laughs> it all seems perfect. No. Marcus Smart for Ben Simmons and what well, Jalen Brown also, but um, yeah, but, it's just consistency. That's what that's what needs to be happening. If you needed to take some players away from Boston to be more consistent as a team, that's fair. But I don't think that that means trading away either Jalen. Like Tatum, I can get because he's very inconsistent. But like Brown and Smart, you know what you're going to get from both of them as soon as they step on the court. Well, it doesn't have to be a huge ass trade. It could just be True. a solid role but, player, but like, like what PJ Tucker did for us. True, but like what I'm saying is that every time that every time that I've got an athletic article or a BuzzFeed article or even an ESPN article linking the Celtics to a trade every single time, according to that, I'm not supposed to have any of the core members of this team on there anymore. Yeah. Well, I don't know so, why you trust BuzzFeed to give you sports news. Because you sent me those articles. <laughs> I didn't send you BuzzFeed. Oh, sorry. Not BuzzFeed. Bleacher Report. Oh, Bleacher like it, Report. Like, like it's any better. <laughs> BuzzFeed articles are more like, uh, like, uh, which Boston Celtics player are you? And then in parentheses, it's going to be like, going to be traded later this season. Um, right. So let's, uh, let's head on over to college football, boys. We had our conference championship week. And as, as we expected throughout the college football season, um, chaos was delivered. It starts with our Pac-12 championship game played last Friday when the Utah Utes win their first ever Pac-12 championship in a crushing fashion over the Oregon Ducks, 38-10 to 10 victory. Um, followed up by just an insane Saturday. It starts with the Big 12 championship where Baylor on a fourth-and-one goal-line stand holds the Oklahoma State Cowboys just short and wins the Big 12 21-16, uh, getting revenge for an earlier – getting revenge for an earlier game uh, played in – uh, at uh, Oklahoma State, the world's best punter, Skyler's uh, favorite player for San Diego State, gets blocked twice as the Utah State annihilate Brady Hope in the Aztecs. Uh, the University of Louisiana keeps on track a fantastic season, winning the Sun Belt Conference over App State. Alabama dominates Georgia, offensively dominates Georgia in the SEC championship game. Houston goes blow for blow for Cincinnati for a while. Um, but led by just a dominant running uh, performance by uh, uh, Jerome Ford, uh, 18 carries, 187 yards, two touchdowns. The Bearcats complete the undefeated season and earn their way to the college football playoff. Uh, Michigan <laughs> annihilates the Iowa Hawkeyes, 42 to three. So happy with that. And Pittsburgh behind uh, just a complete offensive meltdown by the Wake Forest Demon Deacons wins the ACC championship game. So looking at conference championship week, so many games to talk about. Um, and and just very quickly to go in the college football standings, our playoffs are going to be at the four-seed Cincinnati, at the three-seed Georgia, at the two-seed Michigan, at the one-seed Alabama, meaning that the, the semifinals will be Cincinnati taking on the, the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs taking on the number two-ranked Michigan Wolverines. Uh, so looking at both the college football conference championship week, as well as 
uh, the college football playoff. What's just impressions? What stood out from conference championship week? Uh, for me, I think it's got to be Utah. Um, just for the season that they had and to go against, uh, you know, big brother Oregon, who's kind of run for the conference for, you know, the past how many years to see them dominate them twice. Um, I think like if you point the points together, it was like 70 to like 13 or something like that. It was crazy. Uh, 76 um, to 17. Yeah. 76 to 17, which is insane. Um, but it was just nice to see, you know, fresh blood when the PAC 12, um, I'm always down for a new conference championship. Um, and I'm just glad they got it just after the back-to-back seasons of having their starting run up running backs be shot and murdered. Um, I'm, it's really awesome to see them pull it off and really do it for those two guys. Um, and now they get to go to Rose Bowl. So my hat's off to uh, Utah um, for a conference championship. Well, I think we have to, I, I, you know, there's a lot of coaches that get a lot of love across college football. Kyle Whittingham does not get enough love for what he's built in Utah. I mean, he's been there. I think he's the second longest tenured head coach in college football, or he's tied for that just behind Ferentz. But what he's done at Utah, this dude has been the mastermind behind helping Utah pull off uh, wins in the Mountain West Conference, move to the Pac-12, pull off some great wins, uh, win BCS Bowl games. Now they've, they've gotten over that next hump. They've won the Pac-12. They're going to that Rose Bowl. And he's done it staying with his type and brand of football. The, the Utes are a powerhouse out there in the Pac-12, and Kyle Whittingham doesn't get enough love for what he's done. Uh, can we all just agree that we're all very excited to see Kyle Whittingham's defense face uh, Lincoln Riley's offense every fucking year? Because they both play in the South. Yeah. That's oh going to be God, great. So that. That's that's going to be great. It's like one of the best things about Lincoln Riley moving out to the West. Except at that and also the fact that Oklahoma can suck. I'm kidding. I like Oklahoma. No, Oklahoma can suck. Yeah. Um, Paper clips now. <laughs> for, for me, it's like I, I don't know how to explain it. Because like watching the Georgia-Alabama game, there wasn't there wasn't a sense in the first three quarters that Georgia was out of this game. Like it, there was times where you were sitting there going, they're still running the ball very effectively. Stenson Bennett, if you looked at his stats, was still having a very complete and good game. And then in the fourth quarter, something just happened. Um, also, none of us are ever allowed to talk about Bama in a bad way ever again, ever That's again. Not we're not That's allowed insane. to anymore. We're you not allowed to anymore. Not just us. Not just us. Everyone did. Everyone did. Okay, but not not just us. Everyone. Everyone. Okay. Bravery is swimming up current when everyone else is swimming down current. Thank you. It's also called stupidity when you fall off the waterfall. Um, (laughs) because, but where was I going with this? I like. Yes, said the boat played a great game, like like a good game, not a great game, a good game. Um, and you look at all of that. I would not be surprised if these two teams met in the national championship if Georgia wins that game because they can, and they and they've shown that they have that ability to. Um, but like, like I say, now you just put Georgia as the underdog. A lot of people are going to be discrediting Georgia. And I think that honestly, Kirby Smart can pull a very similar thing to what's happening with with that happened with Bama, because all of those Georgia players, you know, are fucking embarrassed. You know, Stenson Bennett is is horrified. You know that all of those running backs and offensive line, defensive lines, they got all of their awards this week, and now they're pissed. So it's 
So they're going to want to step up and show Bamba that they can do these things. Um, I'll say Bryce Young probably won the highest man in that game, though, um, with everything that he did, um, which is a shame that two Alabama quarterbacks have to win it back to back. Um, and also, fuck the fact that Kenneth Walker got snubbed for Heisman. He deserved to be at that at and that uh, in New York for that. I, I like I've liked everyone that they put on it. Um, I like that. Yeah, Aiden I, Hidden, I just think that Kenneth Walker. They Ohio State five. didn't kill them. Like, like five, like you can put five guys in that. And yes, they, yeah. he had a bad game, but Aiden Hutchinson had, you know, 16 sacks and six of them came in his last two games. Granted, those are two of his most important games he needed to play in his career. But like things like that, Kenneth Walker should have been invited to New York. Um, he's the best running back in college football this year. Um, but well, that's it. Understand. Oh, oh, and then, and then understand. one more. I'm sorry, go One more thing as a Nebraska fan, seeing Pitt's offense perform the way that it did did make me very happy because now their OC is Nebraska's OC um, and Kenny Pickett's quarterback coach is now our quarterback coach. Uh, granted, he probably has one year to turn everything around. So we'll see what happens. Like Brady, I was talking about earlier. There's some rumors that a very high prof- profile quarterback could be coming to Nebraska. Um, we had Spencer Rattler, Miles Brennan, or even the guy that Brady really liked out of Akron might be playing, but everything that's pointing to and everything I'm hearing is that um Whipple will have almost every say about who his next quarterback is going to be and be very involved in that recruitment and or uh, other processes. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, I think that with the performance in the SEC championship game, I think Will Anderson should have been invited for the Heisman. Um, if you're Definitely. Gonna, if you're going to, if you're going to allow Aiden Hutchinson in, and this is not a slate on Aiden Hutchinson, yeah. but if Aiden Hutchinson is going to show up, Will Anderson Jr. should have been there also. Like yeah. me, there's not, those guys are the two best. They're just as equally dominating. Um, Jamison Williams probably made a strong uh, conversation. He probably made a strong argument that he also should have been at the Heisman Trophy uh, presentation. But the fact that he didn't win the Bolitnikoff Award is a crying shame to me. But you got it even right, though, Brady. Even though, I got it. Even though Addison got it. Right, yeah. And that's, well, that's, that's what's so upsetting is that, is, that, is, is that I was so correct with Addison because that dude absolutely deserved the Bolitnikoff Award. But Jamison, Winston, or Jamison Williams went up against the number one defense and had seven catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns. He was a – he was. But we also, we also have to point out that uh, – sorry. In that game. And, and yeah, you know what? Yeah, there, there were things to, to point out, whatever Skyler was about to say. But the dude, the dude was dominant. He went mano a mano with the number one defense, yeah. and he torched him. And you know what? Bryce Young torched him also. Bryce Young, there's a, there's a, that game to me won him the Heisman. But the fact that he wasn't, the fact that Williams wasn't even uh, nominated for the Bolitnikoff Award is. Well, he was. He was. Yeah, he was final. Yeah, he was final. Yeah, he's the finalist. He just well, didn't the win it. The fact that he didn't fucking win it is they, they like, like, I don't understand. I get awards. I get that technically only one person can win them. But there's so many years where awards like that should go to multiple years. I mean, like the year where uh, Fitzgerald should have won the Heisman. The year that, yeah, the year that Fitzgerald should have won the Heisman. The Melvin Gordon should have won the Heisman. The year, but when Monty Ball should have won the fucking Heisman. Oh, oh, or or you know when Tommy Frazier should have won the fucking Heisman exactly. over Eddie George getting it for a second time. Fuck you, Eddie George. Um, but no, uh, Archie, Archie Griffith is the only guy who. No, sorry, that's what I meant. Archie Griffith. It was whoever yeah. won it for a second time. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, the other thing I was going to mention that it had nothing to do with uh, Williams. You just mentioned Alabama wide receiver and made me think. D- D- John Menchie the third is out with an ACL injury. Yeah, that was a huge. That's big. John is huge that's huge because talk about that that semifinal. Uh, yeah, be- Cincinnati. because the difference is for them. Waddle er- injured his ACL in the middle of the season, so he was able to come back and play in that national t- title game last year. Mechie most likely is going to be missing it because he he would have to recover in a month. And I as There's much no as John, and as much as John Mechie is an amazing human being, and we just saw Dalvin Cook recover from a torn labrum to run for 200 yards and two touchdowns yesterday, um, in less than a week, I I don't I can't see John Mechie doing that with an ACL. No, I mean like like everybody remembers Philip Rivers almost winning the AFC Championship game a week after tearing an ACL in Foxborough. But a quarterback's use of his ACL is far less than a wide than a speed demon wide receiver. Receiver, yeah. yeah. Well, and like we saw with like Damian Harris this last Monday night, he tweaked his ACL, and even though he was still outrunning a bunch of guys, you could see there was a there was trouble with his game, and it's because with yeah. his game, and that's because of his ACL injury. Still no report on what's happening with him, but yeah, and and. and... For those of you to, who don't necessarily understand, an ACL doesn't help you accelerate. An ACL helps you move. It helps keep your knee from moving as you're running. It helps you with cutting and with change of direction. And that's why it's and so important. It's, it's also why it's so common that the, that the ACL is, is injured. Similar and specifically to with like it is in a non-contact. Uh, specifically for quarter or for running backs, wide receivers, and defensive and like most defensive players because a lot of them have to move side to side and do quick quick cuts and that and that's their ACL takes a, a tear like a, a a huge tear through all of that. So I I can't sorry go ahead. I can't wait for the matchup of Jamison Williams going against Sauce Gardner or Corby Bryant. I can't wait to see that fucking matchup. I think it's gonna be awesome. That's great. Or Jerome Ford going up against his former team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot that, that to like about the upcoming bowl season in the college football playoff, but we'll highlight that in a couple of weeks here. Um, the game for me to talk about is that Big 12 championship game. We started conference championship week off with a bang, obviously, with that Utah game, but that Oklahoma State-Baylor game was one of the best games I've ever watched in my life. Um, Baylor, who's walking in with a, t- a true sophomore uh, at quarterback, only getting his second start, um, gets off to a 21-3 lead in that game. They pick off Spencer Sanders four times after picking him off three times earlier in the season, and then Baylor can't do anything with it. Just like in that first matchup, the Oklahoma State defense, which we've highlighted a couple of times on this podcast, they, they beefed up, they held Baylor out. Baylor had a hard time running the ball. They had a hard time moving the ball offensively uh, to start that uh, really the entire second half. They were shut out that second half. But Baylor did just enough, and it was the Dave Aranda defense on fourth and one. Guys, that that finish was crazy. Fourth and one. You get down to the one-yard line, you have one play left, and you come up, he was inches short. He was maybe an inch short. And that was also not the first time that Dave Aranda's defense in that game kept them from scoring on the one-yard line. Correct. They held them. They held them earlier in the, in the game, and uh, and they were forced to they were forced to kick a field goal, and it uh, it, it crushed Oklahoma State. I mean, you could just tell that it absolutely crushed um, Oklahoma State. And there was, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remember it now. Um, the, but the Baylor linebacker who made 
who made that play at the end of the game. Um, who was it? Was it McVee? Yeah, J. Ron McVee, the safety. Um, yeah. That kid's story, a true freshman walk-on. Like, it's it's that it, – or, or not a true freshman, but a walk-on when he got to Baylor. It's the story that, like, every kid has reenacted in his backyard. It's the story that every kid has dreamed about. Especially, it's the yeah. conference championship game. There's one second left. It's fourth and one, and you have to win the game. Yeah. You have to make the play. And McVie made the play. He did just enough to win his team a conference championship game. And this is a Baylor team that that had what eleven losses last year. Uh, Two and seven. Two and seven. This was a two-win Baylor team, and now they've won the Big Twelve. Like it's astonishing what Dave Aranda has done. And in two years, exactly. If it wasn't for the fact that the guys like Harbaugh or Kirby Smart are probably going to win Coach of the Year. Dave Harbaugh, should Harbaugh won. Oh, Harbaugh won it. Dave Aranda oh, no. Wait. I thought Fickle won it. Fickle won one other one, but Harbaugh won like the AP Coach of the Year, the big one. So. But Dave Aranda's name should be in that conversation. Oh, yeah. Granted, so should Kyle Whittingham. So should, there's a lot of coaches you can name in that. But the job oh, yeah. that Dave Aranda has done is astounding out there in Waco. It, yeah. It's astounding what he's accomplished. Uh, he was linked to every like high profile job. People thought he's going to go to USC. He thought they're going to go back to LSU. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, he's the Luke Fickle of the South. Yeah, no, he, I mean he played great. I mean, uh, or he he's coached a great job. And I loved I loved the the screenshot of him where like they make the stop on fourth and one and he's he just unimpressed. He, he was more Belichick than like Belichick would have been in that situation. Like, he, he was, was more like, Belichick than Belichick was on Monday when they did the when they put up the stop and Belichick hugged his son and smiled. <laughs> like, like, like Dave Aranda was just like, okay. We still, we still got this weird ass song who does the weird thing with his tongue every game. Yeah. No, the other side. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dave, Dave Aranda, like Dave Aranda, had the mindset of like, okay, we just made this stop and we basically won the game, but he's like, but I've still got to successfully take a knee. <laughs> like, just yeah. no reaction out of it, and and it's and huge congrats um, to, to all the other conference championship winners. I mean, the job that that. Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh yeah. Panthers did um, against a very good Wake Forest team, but that defense for Wake Forest fell apart. But Sam Hartman fell apart as well. He just there was a lot of that, bad things that, that happened game, there. That game was twenty-one to fourteen Wake Forest at the end of the first half, or sorry, at the end of the first quarter, twenty-one to fourteen. Wake Forest got outscored thirty-one to nothing after that. They just completely fell apart. Um, there was uh, a, a pick six in the fourth quarter that they threw. Yeah, Sam Hartman ended up with four interceptions on the game. Kenny Pickett had a fantastic day uh, running the ball with that cute little fake slide, which is now outlawed. Illegal, an illegal <laughs> procedure. Suspend but, him. But um, he also just played fantastic. And then Michigan just dominating Iowa. I mean, we all talked about it. This was not a good Iowa team. This was not a good Iowa offense, and they just – they fell apart. Iowa tried to play the field position game, um, and very similar to, like, how Wisconsin, I think, would have performed in a similar game. Um, they, they, well, Wisconsin, Wisconsin played big. Wisconsin has a much better offense, a much better defense. Don't get me wrong. But we've seen, we've seen this before with Wisconsin with a lot of Big Ten teams where they try to play that cute field position game against a much better team, 
and, and it's just unsustainable. You needed well, some sort of production, and Iowa just never got it. Well, and even then, we looked at Wisconsin did play better against Michigan. And I'll tell you, this Michigan team is completely different than the Michigan team that Wisconsin played earlier in the season. Um, but not really, <laughs> because this Michigan team has been this dominant, this kind of team the entire season. The only hiccup – there's two hiccups beating Nebraska by three and losing to Michigan state by three. Those are really the only two. And those two, I mean, the Nebraska one apparently is acceptable because every team struggled against Nebraska this year. Um, Nebraska just couldn't capitalize on any of that. And then the other one was, I mean, at that point, Michigan state, I mean, still then ha- still now has one of the best running backs in college football, the best running back in college football. And that game was at Michigan state and they still Nebraska. were leading it. Yeah, so like like they've done really good, and it makes like that Georgia like I'm sorry this play like we I know we're gonna talk about the CFP preview, but I this committee got this right, and I'm very happy with what they did. Yeah, for, so, for that's, yeah. so that's that's the question then. So looking at the college football uh, the final playoff ranking um, on the outside looking in, Ohio State at six, Notre Dame at five, but Cincinnati uh, will play Alabama, uh, and Georgia will play Michigan. Is that the match? Did they get that correct? Namely, I guess, namely, I think one and four are correct. But is two and three uh, okay? If, if that's incorrect, then then what what's what's your opinion on that one through four ranking? Did they get the teams right, and did they get the order correct? The teams, yes, I think those are the four best teams. Um, I am of the opinion that Michigan's better than Bama, and that's me. Um, they, I, I honestly think that Michigan deserved that one seed over Bama, um, cause it couldn't go to Georgia, Georgia lost. Um, but Bama at different times has struggled against very, against, against far, uh, inferior opponents. Like it's not like a Nebraska where Nebraska is playing close against every single team that they're playing, they're playing where there are a single, oh, it's a single possession game against Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma, like they're showing that Nebraska can play, like Nebraska can can stay there, where it's like you're within three points to a Florida team that then gives up 56 against Stanford, like, like, like that, that's it, where you lose to a Texas A&M team that struggled throughout the season itself, like, like there's, there's these different kinds of things, yes, you beat the most dominant defense in football and make it look easy, and so there's that, but Michigan had a they're they're they continued to play the, their brand of football and were dominant against really good teams throughout the season they destroyed ohio state they destroyed iowa they destroyed wisconsin they yes they played close against michigan state and nebraska like i said earlier but i i just think that they for me that there was a much more consistent michigan team this entire season um versus a, an inconsistent bama team that i had noted at different times throughout the season that they were inconsistent the drive wasn't there those kinds of things um and then I, I just like, since he's the only undefeated team, and I think just having the only undefeated team be the lowest seed is just kind of a knock against them. I get as a group of five, they're lucky they even got in. If Oklahoma State won their championship, they might not have gotten in. Um, but I still think since they should be ranked higher than four, especially because they are the only undefeated team left. If you had Georgia there as undefeated at 13-0, I think you could make more of a case for, for since he being four. But it, it, there's just something in like innate that i find wrong with it and i can't i can't really put a finger on it yet or where they should have been um but i i mean i i think georgia's fine at three and i would have just put bama at two so we would have had another rematch um which would have been fine with me but uh like th- these are the four best teams in college football this is 
all f- two, both of those games are great. And if we get a Cincy Georgia or a Cincy Mich- Michigan or a Michigan Bama or a- another SEC rematch, it's got all for all of those different variables are great games that I tune into. Yeah, um, I agree that all four teams are are the teams that should be in there. Um, I think Bama should just get one just because they're able to go against the, you know, the number one team of the country, the number one defense, um, and do what they did. So I think they're deserving of the number one. Michigan should still be at two just because of, you know, finally beating Ohio State in a dominant fashion um, and just dominating Iowa. They had no chance at all. Um, and then I would have put Georgia at four just because of them losing in the fashion that they did. And to put Cincinnati at three just to give, uh, you know, the respect that they deserve for having been the only undefeated team this year. Yeah, uh, yeah I agree 100% with Mitch. Um, the fact that – here's the thing that stands out for me with, with this, this rankings. The fact that Cincinnati went on the road and beat Notre Dame by two possessions – and yet the committee is basically saying that, and yet and the committee acknowledging that Notre Dame is the top is the, the fifth ranked team in the nation, but then putting the only undefeated team in Cincinnati at number four, that doesn't sit well with me. Like to me that to me that's the committee signaling like, oh, these two teams are interchangeable. Wink, 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 wink. Even though Cincinnati clearly is the better team and proved themselves to be the better team when they walked into South Bend and fucking beat the Irish. Like yeah. Georgia absolutely should have fallen to number four. See, but I have a problem with that because, sorry, continue. Like I have a problem with that because you look at the, like one of the criteria that that they, that they use is similar opponents. And if you look at the opponents between Bama and Georgia, Georgia dominated opponents that Bama couldn't. They, again, granted, take into consideration when they played that team, who was the starting quarterback, everything, even that, but even then, if you're looking like they beat, they beat Auburn by 24 with an Auburn that had Bo Nix um, as a starting quarterback. Bama can barely beat a, a hobbled TJ Finley. And again, again, this is, and both of these are in Auburn. They're both at Jordan Hare Stadium. So it's like this, it's a very similar concept. Like you, you look at uh, Arkansas. Yes, again, I don't, was Arkansas, did Arkansas play at? Uh, Arkansas was at Georgia. At Georgia, but were they at um, Bear Bryant? Yeah, they were at Alabama, correct. Okay. Uh, uh, Georgia beats Arkansas by more than that. And by that time, Arkansas was a top 10 ranked team as well. They destroyed Arkansas. I mean, uh, uh, Tennessee beat Tennessee more. Um, yeah, granted a touchdown, but still more. So it's it's not like it's not like there isn't other criteria that you could use to judge Georgia and um and Bama and in a placement of Georgia. And I think, I think three is a good, is a good place because at that time, the only time Georgia looked even human was in that game against Bama. And like I said earlier for three quarters, it still looked like Georgia could come back and win that game. It wasn't until the fourth quarter where they score, uh, where they get to, you know, uh, 40 or 38 that you're like, it's kind of done. But even then, even then it's, it's like, I, I like, I, I still think that there's a chance that this Georgia team could beat Bama in the championship. There's a, there's a, I think that that's a good chance. I don't think that it's, I think it's a flip of a coin right now versus uh, this Bama team is so much better than Georgia. They showed up last Saturday and beat the living shit out of Georgia. I'll give you that. But like, if I'm going, if I'm doing the simulation 10 times, a thousand times, something like that, I think it's a good 50, 50. I, 
I will say that I that that game showed to me that uh, Alabama is significantly better than Georgia, and I think I, I think what we have to keep in mind is that it's okay for good teams to struggle at times. Yeah. Because like let's let's take a look at Tampa Bay, right? Like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year lost two times in crushing fashion to the New Orleans Saints, and then when push came to shove, beat the Saints in the playoffs. Now you can you can flip that argument, right? And you can say that in it's this like, situation, I was like, it works Georgia, both situations. Right, you're right. But we can all agree that by the time the playoffs started last year, I don't think anybody thought Tampa Bay was the best team in the NFL. No. But Tampa Bay ended up winning it. Now, pro football and college football, they're fundamentally different things, so take it all with a grain of salt. But to me, my main issue is just not – is it throughout this entire process, the committee never putting enough respect on the name of the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yeah, I this agree. This is a Cincinnati team that, that everything you want from this team. Did they have a signature win? Yes, they did. Did they crush opponents in, in games? Yes, they did. Did they struggle against opponents? Yeah. You know what? They, they absolutely did. You're, there's no doubt about yeah. that. They struggled Though against I'm... inferior competition. But when push came to shove – at the end of the day, the only thing that should matter is did you get the win? Did yeah. you win that game? Because we're not playing these games a thousand times to decide the winner. We're not playing right. them three times to decide the winner. We're playing them once, and it's okay for the worst team to win the game. My thing is is that when I saw these rankings, the first thing that came in my mind was, oh, the committee wants an all-SEC national championship game. Now, that's – Georgia would still have a hell of a fight in Michigan – and Alabama still has a hell of a fight in Cincinnati. That is not me throwing those other two teams under the bus. Yeah. But the fact that the fact that the committee didn't give us the rematch immediately because they're hoping to get it in the game. But I think that that is a huge factor that has to play, given the financial uh, pains that the NCAA has experienced these last two years with COVID. But I, Michigan has a huge fan base, don't get me wrong. And, and if Michigan were to make the national championship game, that fan base would show out, but we have seen year after year after year, the committee wanting those large money-making, uh, large money-making franchises basically to show up in this big game. And I think that this is another year in which the committee is trying to force that hand. Is Georgia top four team? Absolutely. Is Georgia the number three team in the nation? I, I think absolutely they are. But if I were making this rankings, given the performances that I saw, I would have put Georgia at number four, and I would have put Cincinnati at number three. Which is fair, but again, it's the, the thing that we always have to, like, I have to say for this, and I have to say for, like, any coaching decision that's ever, we're not in the room. So, like, there's 12 people in the room, and besides Condoleezza Rice, they all are very qualified for their job. Um, Is Condoleezza like, Rice still doing that? Well, she was at one point, and so it's. Well, I mean, she like was that. almost the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, so she must be qualified. So I still, I don't know where the fuck I. I just like I think it's just a fun name to say too to include in things. Condoleezza Rice, it just rolls off the tongue. Um, but like they're very qualified. They all know what they're doing. We've had mul- we've had multiple Badgers and Huskers on this committee making this decision, and they've talked about it. And, and it's it's like I guarantee that there was 
multiple members of that room that were like, yeah, Cincinnati should be three. And there were multiple members of that room that were like, Michigan should be one or Georgia should be four. But at the end of the day, it's they weigh a ton of different things and they rate them accordingly to different things. There could have even been some people that thought Notre Dame deserved to be in this championship I over. Think I think this is, if there was ever a year that you could look at this and go, we needed a 16 playoff, we needed an 18. This playoff. one was the best. This, this is the best. The because Notre Dame could have gone mano a mano, I think, with a lot of those teams and probably given them a run for their money. Ohio State, I think, could absolutely beat a lot of those teams. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, Baylor could be in that conversation if the Baylor offense can get a little bit more. Well, and like, I'll even, like, I'll even show you what the new form, with the proposed format that's still under debate, what it would be, because you'd have the Power Five conference championship winners. So you would have Bama, Michigan, uh, Baylor. Utah and Pitt would all make the championship and then you'd have the best of the power best of the group of five so Cincinnati so we'd have those six automatically and then it would be the next top six so you would have uh, Georgia Notre Dame Ohio State Ole Miss Oklahoma State and Michigan State and and to me with the exception of Michigan State that's a great that's that's fun yeah Uh, actually i need i need to write that out again because i think i included too many teams that's okay we'll talk about it another day let's move on to the nfl portion of the the segment here so looking at week 13 in review it kicked off with the dallas cowboys winning on thursday night Taysom hill throws four interceptions and the saints lose uh the buccaneers uh beat the falcons tom brady stays undefeated against the falcons in his lifetime the Cardinals get uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray back and beat the Bears in a, in a rainy day at Soldier Field. Uh, the Chargers destroy the Bengals. The Lions win their first game of the season. The, Vikings. Uh, the Dolphins blank the Giants. The uh, Eagles get into a little bit of a fight with the Jets but pull off the win. Uh, the Colts crush the Texans. Uh, Washington, for the second straight week, wins a game 17-15 to over the Raiders. The uh, Rams get back on track with a crushing win over the Jaguars. The Steelers come from behind and on a two-point conversion stand beat the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, The Seahawks finally get back in the win column with a win against the Niners. The Chiefs uh, really do a number on the Broncos. And the Patriots beat the Bills 14-10 in what might be the windiest football game I have ever seen played in (laughs) football's history. So taking a look at uh, Week 13 in review, as well as we talked about the Thursday night game from last night where – uh, the Minnesota Vikings beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Minnesota was up 29 to nothing. The Steelers stormed back to make it a 36 to 28 ball game, but a a uh, incomplete pass to Pat Fryermuth, knocked out by Harrison Smith with no time left on the clock, ensures that the Vikings get the win. Uh, so, taking a look at, at that weekend review in the Thursday night game, what stood out? Uh, what stood out, gentlemen? I think the biggest thing that kind of stood out for me is the the Eagles beating the Jets. Um, and I know the Jets are horrible, but uh, the performance that Gardner Minshew had was pretty impressive. And like I said, I know the Jets are one of the worst teams in the league and all that kind of stuff, but he still had a pretty impressive performance. And um, I, I think he kind of proved a lot of people wrong. And I think there should have been a lot more teams that should have been trying to get him out of uh, Jacksonville once Trevor Lawrence was named the starter. Um you know, what What would the Panthers look like if he was that quarterback? What would Washington look like if he was the quarterback? Um, if he's going to give up these kind of performances for them? Um, I think he would change the dynamic of the league a lot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Gardner Minshew goes from here on out. Um, 
And then the other game is the Chargers Bengals. I did not expect that at all. Um, I thought the Bengals were going to win, obviously, as my pick. Um, and I thought it would have been a little bit closer than this. But, you know, Justin Herbert showed up and, uh, you know, really dominated, you know, 26 of 35, 317 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, it was a really impressive performance, but uh, it's really hard to believe him because he, they'll put up this performance before all we know this week he's going to throw like two picks and throw for like 200 yards. So it's it's really hard to believe in them right now. Yeah. Um. For me, it's uh, it's the actually, you know, the Bears putting up 22 points with out Justin Fields. Um, granted, Dalton did throw four interceptions, but the fact with four interceptions, you're only down by 11 points. I think honestly, Bears fans could announce for a better outcome against the best team in in, in football at least at this point. Um, Kyler Kyler Murray was not what he needed to be. Uh, you know. Uh, 11 for 15, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Um, he did what he needed to do. He won the game, and that's really what matters. But that offense is going to be something that we're going to have to keep an eye on um, going forward because if they continue uh, performances like that against, you know, not a bad Bears defense, but not like a great Bears defense at the same time, then that could be concerning, especially with the with the gauntlet that the, the Cardinals still have to run through for the rest of the season and, and going into playoffs. Um, the Rams do exactly what they need to. Finally, for the first time in like four weeks, they get the win that they need to. Um, the Seahawks surprised, I think, a lot of people by beating the Niners. The Niners team that, you know, had, yeah. had, is looking good, looking like a playoff team, still is kind of a playoff team. Washington is continuing, continuing to win. They're one of the hottest teams in the NFC, at least. And their defense actually looks like where it needs to be. Um, and their offense is doing enough. And that's all that really matters. Um, and then uh, the the most fun I've had watching a football game ever as a fan was the Patriots-Bills game because it literally – it I, I felt like a Wisconsin fan because every <laughs> single play, everyone knew the Patriots were going to run the ball. And every single time, the Bills couldn't do anything about it. And that made me happy. <laughs> it made me very happy. It, like it's very satisfying. Like, Skyler's a closet Wisconsin fan. No, I'm not. <laughs> that feeling where you can just sit there and be like, okay, we're going to run that same trap play that we've ran for the, <laughs> the last 10 times, and, we're, and we might get four yards out of it, but we also might get an 80-yard touchdown run out of it. Yeah. And you know it's coming. The fans know it's coming. Every player on the field knows it's coming. Every opposing team's fan knows it's coming. And, and they still can't do anything about it. Like, and I think... it. It is somewhat fun to just be like, okay, and now what are you going to do about it? And <laughs> I hope they keep the game plan. I, keep the I, game I plan doubt, from here I, on out. I doubt that. Matt they Jones throws five passes. It's all running otherwise. I, I doubt it, but I, I had to say it was just kind of – that, that's a game like at the end of the at the end, at the end of the day, both lines, offense and defensive lines for the Patriots had to be like, you know what? I deserve to have sex tonight. Like something like, God damn. <laughs> Like, like, I need something, please. That's that's the game where, like, the offensive lineman afterward, like, any offensive line coach watching that game, like, looks at the rest, looks at that performance by the Patriots offensive line and goes, like, shit, dude, that makes me hard as fuck. Like, right, like, like that's the one. That's the one where the head coach like takes the lines out and is like to a buffet and is just like eat everything, just yeah, eat as much want, as you want. Eat, you know, like, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a fantastic performance. I want to talk a little bit about about the Washington football team 
No. We gave Skyler a lot of shit. This is Washington football team that's won four straight games and with two matchups planned against the Cowboys. Don't, don't, don't for the love of God, don't give me credit too soon. Don't give me credit too soon. Butter him up. It's the same. This team was two and six at one point. His last four games, seven touchdowns, two interceptions. They've won back-to-back games, 17 to five or 17 to 15. They they're doing just enough to keep it up. But but in case you guys didn't hear, Mr. Mike McCarthy guaranteed a win against said <laughs> Washington football team this week when the Cowboys take him on. So something to keep an eye on. But that NFC East is still wide open. Is absolutely up as per usual. Because a half game behind Washington is the six and seven Philadelphia Eagles. So they're the Eagles who still have a matchup playing against the Cowboys. Now they've only got one more chance against the Cowboys. So they've got a little bit more distance. They got to close, but this was guys. Remember Dallas was what? Seven and one at one point this season. Yeah. Like Dallas was when Dallas was seven and one, Washington was like two and six. It was over. The fact that this got competitive again, the fact that now Dallas has to look over their shoulder just a little bit, and they might uh, settle all the arguments this week. If Dallas wins, the conversation is pretty much over as yeah. who wins the NFC East. But the fact that Dallas has had to look back, given that 7-1 and one start, is is really a testament to Ron Rivera that, and the Washington football team. Yeah. All I have to say is that for Washington, you like there's very few times in football this late into a season, you can look at a team and be like, you seriously control your own destiny. Washington seriously controls their own destiny. Their next five games, all five games are against division opponents. They have every opportunity to win this division and get at least a home advantage through the divisional if they can keep it up. Because again, as we're looking at the standings and how close the NFL is is specifically among a bunch of those wild card teams in the in the NFC. If Washington can win four of their next five, or just beat the Cowboys twice, then that puts them in an advantage immediately for what they can do. And I I gotta say, the Washington's been doing good. I don't want to give them too much credit because they have to still perform against one of the. Up, yeah. They still have to show up against one of the team one of the league's best offenses in in Dallas and one of the best offensive coordinators in pro football and, um, uh, fucking Kellen Moore, um. And, and the Eagles aren't the Eagles aren't anything to to laugh at either. They they could easily make the playoffs if they perform well because they play Washington twice in the next in the next five weeks as well. So like, there's a lot that that is still still at work there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's move on to our week fourteen picks. There's fourteen games. Uh, me and uh, me and Mitch picked the Pittsburgh Steelers. Skyler picked the Vikings. So Skyler got the points for the Thursday night game. Um, but let's start off here. I just wish I had made it my underdog. I don't think it would have worked, though. Yeah, Minnesota was favored by three, so it wouldn't have worked. Um, so let's start off with Baltimore at Cleveland. Uh, who wants to kick us off here? Might as well start. Keep the order. This is per usual. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Um, so uh, the, the Ravens coming in eight and four, Cleveland six and six. Um, this is difficult for me because Cleveland has looked bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. Let's look, at the, let's look at the last three performances. Seven points, 13 points, 10 points. They've looked bad offensively, but the Ravens are the definition of inconsistency. I mean, the Ravens are their last four games, 10 points, 16 points, 16 points, 19 points. Both of these teams have struggled. 
but it's just Baker Mayfield is not anything resembling 100%, and he has struggled mightily this season. Cleveland has never really had an answer for what Lamar Jackson can do. Um, I'm going to take the Ravens, but this is this is an absolute shit show of a game for me because I neither of these teams are as good as I expected them to be. Cleveland is just significantly worse than my Cleveland is worse than my lowest expectation for them walking into the season. If I'm going to be 100 honest, I'm going to take the Ravens. I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns. Um, even though the Browns have struggled as Brady, you just said the Ravens have also struggled. Um, and one of the reasons why I think Baltimore struggled as much is the offensive line it is not has what it's been in past years. Um, and going against a guy like Miles Garrett, um, who's second in the league in sacks, I think is going to be a big mismatch. And I think the Marlon Humphrey injury is really going to hurt them because with him out, uh, you know, Marcus Peters already tore his ACL. So he is already out. They really don't have a guy at corner. And I think that's going to hurt them defensively. Um, and I don't think Mike Baker Mayfield will have to do much. Um, he can always just lean on Nick Chubb. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Cleveland getting the win at home. Uh, yeah, no, I got to go with Baltimore. Um, the last time these two teams played, and it's something that, like, normally it, it is, doesn't always say anything, but they played each other like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think there, this is a lot about this team that the fact that Lamar Jackson threw four interceptions and they still lost by six points. Uh, or Cleveland still lost that game by six points. I mean, you look at Nick Chubb had eight carries for 16 yards. Kareem Hunt had seven carries for 20 yards. Um, neither one of them averaging over three yards per carry. Um, that says a lot about the interior of this team. And yes, we can do it as much as we, we can say as much as we want about the fact that Marlon Humphrey and Baker Mayfield or uh, Marcus Peters are both still out right now, but Baker Mayfield is not right in the shoulder. Um, he, he apparently had the the brace changed at the last point but it, Baltimore in this case I think has this game because their defense is just well coached it's not the fact that it's, it's specific players because they lost Judon they lost Ngakwe they lost a lot of key players from this team from last year um and their defense is still producing at a level I mean uh oh uh um Adoe oh uh, yeah Adafi Owe Adafi Owe has been one of the best rookie pass rushers and if it wasn't for you know Micah Parsons just being a god on the field, he would be one of the front runners for defensive player of the or defensive rookie of the year. Um, and thirteen year vet Calais Campbell. Is and Calais Campbell is still Calais Campbell. And and I mean I Patrick Queen and some of these other guys that they've drafted over the last year last couple of years have been stepping up in the middle of that defense, which is really good for them. They need this kind of thing for them. Um Whereas Cleveland, it's the running game isn't working for them. It hasn't been for the last couple of games. Baker Mayfield isn't able to produce as well. There's something wrong with that shoulder, and he needs to get it checked out. He needs to get it fixed. I know that we talked about what the injury was, and that's something that he's going to have for a while. Um, but it's obviously affecting his throwing motion, and it's obviously affecting his ability to get, out, to get the ball out. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, he's beaten and battered, and it's it's – definitely shown and it's a shame that it's showing this year given that it's a contract year for him and and yeah. i do think that yeah i do think that he deserves to be the cleveland quarterback going forward um but that's conversation for the end of the season mitch why don't you kick us off here as the two and ten jacksonville jaguars head to tennessee to take on the eight and four titans the titans still without uh derrick henry uh but uh they have everyone else uh, <laughs> yeah but yeah they they have they're 
playing a really shitty Jacksonville team, even though Tennessee has lost uh, the last two games. So who are you taking? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Tennessee. I think it'll be a, another get-right game, as we saw with the L.A. Rams just did the previous week. Um, you know, even though they don't have Derrick Henry and Julio Jones has been hurt for a lot of the season, uh, they still do have some playmakers. You know, they still have A.G. Brown, um, Nick Westbrook, forget his other last name, has stepped up in games. Um, I, I think they can do it, uh, obviously. And it's not a good look right now for Jacksonville. Uh you know, when Trevor Lawrence, you know, has to beg for them to play James Robinson, who's, you know, their best offensive weapon, if we're being honest, um, it's still a shit show over there. So I, I trust Mike Vrabel more than um, I do Jacksonville. And we might get to see Zach Cunningham's, and that could be a huge boost for Tennessee's defense. That is big, yeah. Uh, Houston getting rid of – it seems like we say it every couple of months. Houston getting rid of their best defensive player um, – you know, arguably their best defensive player and, and him getting picked up by Tennessee. That's that's a big pickup by the uh, Titans there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm also going over Tennessee. It's just kind of uh, a given at this point in Jacksonville. There's a lot that's wrong with this team, There's a, but there's also some promise to it, uh, which I think gets overshadowed by the fact that Trevor Lawrence is a major disappointment. The fact that, you know, Urban Meyer isn't anything that what he expected it to be. We all had high expectations for this team. Technically, they did beat last year's expectations they did win a second game um so there is that but there's there's a lot of things that need to be fixed and i think one of them is just the fact that they need to stay healthy for a fucking season i mean james robinson lavisca chenault other players that have um have just been injured and it's just it's it's torn through this team and i also think that urban meyer just needs to get his head out of his ass and go back to what he does good which is organizing a team he knows how to put his best players forth on a team and how to utilize him i think he's in his own head right now he needs an offseason to kind of recoup and i think he'll get it but god damn is that man up the nice this is this is the biggest failure since nick saban passing on drew Brees. yeah yeah this is it Jacksonville won't fire him after this season, but I think Urban Meyer is definitely on the hot seat and deservedly so. I'm taking Tennessee also. It's easy. Um, Ryan Tannehill has not looked good this season, but he still looks significantly better than any time Trevor Lawrence has tried to throw the ball. Um, and the fact that Trevor Lawrence, when you compare his stats in his first 12 games to Gardner Minshew's stats in his first 12 games, Gardner Minshew has played significantly better and they, and Trevor Lawrence is the first overall pick, you know, like it's, it's bad what they've gotten out of, out of Trevor Lawrence. I'm taking Tennessee. Skyler, why don't you kick us off as the Raiders, uh, a struggling team, 6-6, six and six, uh, lost last week to Washington, and losers of four of their last five games traveled to, to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs, who have won five in a row and have reclaimed the AFC West title uh, as of right now. So who are you taking, Raiders-Chiefs? Raiders won't have Waller, just so you know. Correct. Yeah. Waller, Darren Waller is out. Yeah, I'm taking the Chiefs. I mean, the the even with the Chiefs offense needing a ton of help, the one time it's looked like itself was against the Raiders. Um, and that's when, you know, Patrick Mahomes throws for 500 yards and five touchdowns. Travis Kelsey always, for some reason, just plays really good against the Raiders. I don't, even with, you know, Gus Bradley as our defensive coordinator, we can all agree this defense looks better than it did last year. Um, and them doing amazing things on both sides of the ball. There's This team is just plagued with a bunch of uh, – uh, off the field issues with their coach and with some of their players. Um, and they're just distractions. And that's nothing to say. It, it, I'm mainly speaking about 
their coach and, and Henry Ruggs. I don't want anybody to misconstrue that as anything about Nassib. Nassib is just, I, if anything, been very consistent for this team and doing great things. Um, but like the Kansas City is is defensive defensively has stepped up. Steve Spagnuolo deserves all the credit in the world. It should still be considered one of the best defensive coordinators in pro football um, for turning that defense around because there is no reason that defense should be good right now, but it is. And it's playing lights out and could be the reason why they win the AFC West and maybe make it back to the Super Bowl. But the only problem is, is their offense is doing that well. Um, and and that really rests on the shoulders of not Eric Bieniemy, but I really think their their head coach or their uh, their quarterback, and that's Patrick Mahomes, and and their offensive line that that needs to be fixed. There's something about that offensive line that's just off. It's not Creed Humphrey, but it's really everyone else around him. Not um, Trey Smith. Trey Smith's been balling. Trey Smith's great, the, but like the again, two rookies are playing up, but the vets are letting them down. <laughs> yeah, well, and like Who even well, and even like Niang on the outside, he's had some issues. Um, and because he didn't play last year, he's technically a rookie too. Um, which is weird because that my problem was the right side of that offensive line and not the left side. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but I, I still don't expect it to to lessen the chance of Kansas City winning this game. Yeah, I'm taking Kansas City 100. Um, the fact that we can the fact that we can say, man, the reason that I'm apprehensive about Kansas City is the offense terrifies me to my core. Because if this offense gets it clicked, if this offense puts it together in these last couple of weeks leading up to the playoffs, with how good this defense plays. Kansas City might have a cakewalk back to the Super Bowl. I mean, this defense has played absolute. This defense has played lights out. If you had this defense on last year's Kansas City's offense team, it's a it's a completely different story. The way that this defense has played the last four years or the last five games, they have played significantly better. But Brady, if you have this offensive line on last year's Super Bowl team. You get the same result. Yeah, same result. <laughs> you're, 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 you're absolutely correct. But if what we're saying is that we need the offense to click, if that That's offense fair. clicks in time here, the way that the Tampa Bay offense clicked last year leading up to the Super Bowl, because remember, Tampa Bay lost one or, or won what, four or five straight games before the playoffs started. Yeah, you're right. If, if this offense clicks to pair with what that defense has been producing, Kansas City is, is going to be a really difficult team to play. Yeah. And especially at the fact that if they can pull away and take this AFC West crown, the idea that any team has to walk into Arrowhead and try to win that football game, that is incredibly difficult to do. Now, that's a big what if, right? What, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that they're going to figure something out in the last four weeks that they haven't in the previous 13, right? I yeah. get it. I get it. But this is such a dangerous Kansas City team. And yeah. at this point, they're dangerous because even though the offense has struggled, you've still got uh, Travis Kels. And I found out that their last name is actually pronounced Kels because Jason uh, Kels did an interview where he said everybody's been pronouncing his name wrong. So if Travis Kels and uh, Pat Mahomes and Tyree Kill, if they can all get on the same page, you've still got weapons in those guys. Man, yeah. if, if they can figure out – and then we're still waiting on Josh Gordon to really show out. We're still waiting on some of those other guys to show up. Kansas City is a dangerous team. I'm picking the Chiefs to win this game, but we're not doing Super Bowl predictions or anything. So, Mitch, why don't you tell us who you're? Yeah, I'm going to pick Kansas City. Um, not that I think they're just so much significantly better. It's just because I, oh, uh, not Oakland, Las Vegas <laughs> is just missing a majority of their offense. You know, Darren Waller is going to be out. Kenyon Drake, 
um, is out for the season. So it's kind of very shorthanded right now. Outside of Hunter Redfro, they really don't have a wide receiver. Um, and the defense, even though it's been better, still has its faults. Um, so that's why I'm going to pick Kansas City. Um, and then for what you're just talking about, uh, for me, for the Kansas City defense, I, I, I need to see it against a better team. Because you talk about they've definitely improved, but the competition that they're going against, you know, the Denver Broncos, the Las Vegas Raiders, the New York Jets, or not the Jets, the Giants, Jordan Love is the quarterback. You know, I, you know, you can look good against bad teams, but I need to see them doing against like two games that are perfect. If they can do it against the Chargers and the Bengals, then yeah, I think uh, this will be a very dangerous team. But I don't know if it's a cakewalk, given that they this defense really has improved itself against uh, a high profile team or offense. I think that's a fair criticism. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I think that's a fair criticism. Um, well, and, and, and just like one last thing that we say about the Chiefs before we move forward. Like, I think that the, prob- the problem that we were – like, because you compared it to Tampa Bay last year. Mm-hmm. I think the problem that we were seeing with Tampa Bay – That's not to say that this defense is as good as Tampa Bay's. Oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's yeah, not what I'm saying. Is, is that the problem that we were seeing with offense, the offense for uh, Tampa Bay wasn't Tom Brady's fault. It was – it was things around him that just wasn't clicking. It was, it was uh, the fact that they couldn't decide that that Arians could not decide on a running back he wanted to use between uh, Fournette or Ronald Jones, Jones yeah. or uh, uh, and even now, uh, but and now that they've kind of they did they they're like Fournette is our running back moving forward, and that's and that's a decision that they should just stay at because when they give him the ball, he does amazing things with it. That's why you have the trophy. Um, those kinds of things. It was the fact that Gronk was still injured and that he came back and was able to do amazing things uh, and, and get healthy um, again. And the fact that you had either uh, uh, Evans or uh, uh, not Brandon Cooks. Um, Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin. Why did I get those two mixed up? Or they were both 14. That's why. Um, that those two guys are uh, like the, the, the Godwin wasn't, was also injured at different times where it's with, Kansas City, it's their quarterback. It is, it is honestly Mahomes. It is, it is Mahomes playing in a way. And, and again, it's like, and again, you can look at it a little bit differently, a little bit differently now than you could earlier in the season because Mahomes was turning the ball over so much. But it's still like there's decision making that he is doing that is not equating in them being successful. I think the one thing that I'll push back on that is the fact that Kansas City leads the league in drops. That's um, true. And the fact that of the 30 drops so far this season, four of them have turned into interceptions. Fair. Three of them were uh, drop touchdown passes. So if you if if that goes correct, if those passes go correct, if that thing which is completely out of Patrick Mahomes' control true. goes correct, he's at eight interceptions on the year instead of 12, and he's at um, – uh, the, 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 he's at 28 touchdowns on the year instead of 25. Yeah. So that and, that, and and given how how close a lot of these Kansas City games are, if that goes different, if for whatever reason his his wide receivers aren't dropping the ball in a way that we haven't seen out of Kansas City in recent years, that this is a completely different narrative in my mind for Kansas City. But execution is a huge thing in football, and you have to be able to do it week in and week out. So uh, the more you so, know. Speaking of execution, uh, let's talk about a guy who wanted to be executed after last week's performance, Taysom Hill and the Brian uh, Kelly? New Orleans Saints. Yeah, Taysom Hill, and the, uh, Taysom Hill and the New Orleans Saints will travel to uh, New York to take on the Jets. 
Uh, the Saints, losers of five in a row, taking on the Jets, losers of four of their last five. Uh, I'll kick this off. I'm going with the Saints. Um, I don't like the offense at all, but that, that is still a really good Saints defense. This is a New York Jets offense that has struggled in a lot of ways. I think they've looked better these last couple of weeks. They're still struggling defensively. They still have issues. I'm picking the Saints to, to get the W. Yeah, I'm picking the Saints. Um, even though the Saints struggled and Taysom Hill throwing all those picks and whatnot, the Jets are just a lot worse right now. Um, you know, Zach Wilson did have a solid day last week, but it really didn't matter much. And, you know, Elijah Moore is really the only consistent wide receiver for them. And the defense is still a, a lot – needs a lot of work. And Elijah Moore is questionable for that game. He's been hurt. Uh, uh, my turn. Uh, yeah, New Orleans. Uh, it's kind of not. I mean, you could look at New Orleans quarterback situation, whether it's Trevor Simeon or it's uh, uh Taysom Hill or whoever. Taysom Hill says he's gonna play, so I I, I believe in him. I it, it, he he solved the problem that was with this team. He his ability to use his his legs, I uh, is a needed part of this offense, especially with Kamara not being able to play as much as he can. He will be here for this game, but you got Hill, you got Kamara, you got most of that offense. You'll be fine. New Orleans. Alrighty, so moving on to the game that Mike McCarthy uh, guaranteed a win. He guaranteed that the Dallas Cowboys, uh, losers of three of their last five games, would go on the road uh, and beat the Washington football team, who's won four in a row. Um, the big injury storyline to talk about in this game is the fact that Tony Pollard is questionable. And given the injury that Ezekiel Elliott is still working through, that Dallas run game could take a further hit if uh, Pollard is not good to go. Mitch, why don't you start us off? Who are you taking, the Cowboys or the football team? Man, this is a hard pick. Um, but I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to go with Dallas uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, I think they have a better matchup. When I, I think the biggest matchup that's going to decide this game is uh, Terry McLaurin going against Trayvon Diggs. Um, and if I have to pick who's going to get the upper hand in it, I think it's going to be Trayvon Jiggs just because Taylor Heineke is going to be giving them the ball. Um, and even though Tony Pollard's not going to be there, I, he's Dak Prescott still has weapons around him. Like he might not have it in years past, you know, whether it's CD Lamb, Mari Cooper, Gallup, um, and Dalton Schultz really showing up at tight end. Um, and I think that's something that could hurt, uh, Washington is, even though Antonio Gibson is back, I would say that J.D. McKissick for a couple of weeks now has been the more effective guy, and he's questionable. Um, so that could really hurt what this offense can do. So I'm going to go with uh, Dallas winning this game. This is my underdog. I'm going with Washington. Um, one, because I couldn't find any other underdogs that I really liked this week. This was a bad week for underdogs, just in total. Oh, um, dude, I've got like four set aside where I'm like, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> where it's like, maybe this team could win this game, but do I really want to bet my my ability to win the pick them <laughs> on this? Uh, no, I, this one I will. Um, we're looking at Washington's ability to hold teams under 30 points. It's not just, uh, and they're going up against one of the most explosive. Yeah, they, they not only were they able to hold uh, Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers under 30 points, they were able to hold a healthy Tom Brady offense with under 30 points. Um, 
a lot they haven't let up 30 points since they faced Kansas City um which is a testament to itself uh and uh, what they've been able to do Taylor Heineke has been able to find way, ways to win the game uh Dallas's run defense has kind of disappeared and Antonio Gibson and uh JD McKissick have been able to exploit things that way um and I think more than anything uh Taylor Heineke has calmed down um, I think being able to get used to the speed of the game, his offensive line has been getting healthy, which also helps him a lot because since Eric, I, another key thing is Eric flowers got healthy when this run of games started happening and that helps them a ton. Um, this is, these are two streaky teams. Uh, it is, it is, you know, winners of it's, it's winners of four straight versus losers of uh, well, go, three of the last five. Yeah. Um, which it, with wins only against New Orleans and Atlanta, um, it, it, Washington has just played as a better team with, you know, and, and also, you know, let, keeping Russell Wilson under 30 points, as much as that off, Seattle offense hasn't looked the best, they still put up 30 points against San Francisco, which has been an improved defense. Um, my my money is with Washington right now. Uh, this was difficult for me. Like, I was I – was so gung-ho to pick Dallas until I heard that Mike McCarthy had guaranteed a win. Uh, <laughs> because I was like, oh, you fucking dumbass. Right. Like, a divisional round game on the road, or not a divisional round, a divisional game on the road, and you're going to guarantee a win against a team that's won four in a row. Taylor Heineke has looked a lot better. The Washington defense has, has looked really solid. But my, my big thing is the defensive line play of both teams. And I think that the Cowboys pass rush and the Cowboys defensive line is going to offer a lot more issues for Washington than I think Washington is against Dallas. I've been impressed with the Dallas offensive line. They've played a lot better than my expectations of them were walking into the season. Um, and the Washington offensive line has, has played a lot better as well. But when I look at it, no Chase Young – versus a really emergent Micah Parsons versus a Demarcus Lawrence that's getting healthier versus a, a solid Trayvon Diggs. Monta, Montez Sweat's supposed to be back too. You're right. Montez Sweat is supposed to be back. That's, that's, that's a key thing here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Dallas, and the main reason is, is that Taylor Heineke has calmed down, but he's calmed down against, with the exception of Tampa Bay, drastically inferior competition than what he's playing this week in Dallas. The Dallas defense has looked really solid. They forced quarterbacks into some bad positions. Trayvon Diggs is maybe the best corner in the NFL right now. Um, Micah Parsons is a fantastic pass rusher. Uh, they're getting great performances out of their linebacking core. I thought Leighton Vander Esch has looked really solid the last couple of weeks. And yeah, the run game might be hurting, and that that can really affect Dallas. But we're talking about Mike McCarthy here. This dude went 15 and one without a run game when he was in Green Bay. He's, he's won games without a run game, and when you've got Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and a healthy Michael Gallup and Dalton Schultz and, and Farrell Brown, it's a solid Dallas team. I'm going to pick the Cowboys to win. Uh, Skyler, why don't you start us off here with an NFC South showdown as the 5-7 and seven Falcons will travel to Carolina to take on the 5-7 and seven, uh, Panthers. The Panthers coming off of a bye week, but they've lost three of their last four games. Uh, the Falcons, uh, who have also lost three of their last four games, uh, lost last week against Tampa Bay. Who are you taking? Oh, God damn. Um, I see it Atlanta. Um, 
because again, most of their offensive pieces are there. You have Cordero Patterson, you have Kyle Pitts, you have Russell Gage, you have um, Matt yeah. Ryan. Yeah, you have those. You have those pieces. Uh, their defense sucks completely and totally sucks, but you have them. Whereas Cam Newton hasn't been looking good, uh, which I honestly don't think it should have been a surprise at all. Um, uh, Chubba Hubbard is in because Christian McCaffrey's out for the rest of the season, which again, shouldn't be really a surprise. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, and there's no emerging wide receivers or tight ends for this team that, that can play consistently. Yeah, their defense is keeping them in games, which is good for them, but um, they fired Joe Brady for God's sake. So if even he can't fix what the fuck is happening in that offensive side of Carolina, I don't really think anybody can at this point. So I'm going to go with Atlanta. Oh, this was such a coin flip for me because it's like, man, Cam Newton can't possibly play as bad as he did last week. Five of 21, two interceptions. He got benched for P.J. Walker. But then I remember that, like, so much of his Carolina offense is predicated on Christian McCaffrey and just barely getting him back only to lose him again for the entire season. I think definitely hurts Carolina. I think, uh, you know, he was only back for, what, two games? I mean, he played against Arizona, and then the next week he loses – they lose him against Miami um, or two weeks later, whatever it might be. But yeah, I, there's just, for me, there's just no faith in Atlanta. I just, I have not seen really anything to like out of the Falcons this entire season. I mean, the run game is a joke. Cordero Patterson is listed right now as the team's starting as one of the team's starting wide receivers, kick returners, punt returners, as well as a safety for the team. This is an Atlanta team that is so beaten up in the backfield that Cordero Patterson is getting ready to play safety. This is still a Carolina Yay, team. Yeah, two-way players. Yeah, right? This is still a Carolina team that has some solid weapons around it. I think Cam Newton is going to offer some issues. I, I This is a coin flip for me, and only because the Panthers are at home, I'm taking the Panthers. That's really the only deciding factor for me in this game. Both of okay. these teams are bad, and I just have no idea which one is, is good enough to win this game in all honesty. I'm going to go with Scott. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons um, just because Cordero, Cordero Patterson's back and he's really what's makes the offense go compared with Kyle Pitts. Yep. And defense now, I guess if he's going to be playing safety um, and Cam Newton's just progressed. Um, and uh, he surely is not one of the best uh, 32 quarterbacks in the league, even though he's uh, touting that this year. Um, it's just it's just really a big mess in Carolina. Um, and I agree with Skyler's point that, you know, they outset, you know, mate, Chris McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey was what made the offense go. And without him, they really don't have the supporting cast, whether it's a wide receiver or they really haven't had the answer at tight end since Greg Olson retired. Um, so there's really nothing for Cam Newton to rely on. So I'm going to Atlanta as well. All right, Brady, I have to ask you. Does knowing that Carolina is two and four at home and Atlanta is four and two on the road change your mind about your pick? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I'll change it to Atlanta. This is okay. Again, this is just it, it, this is such a coin flip because it's like every time that I've looked at Atlanta and I've been like, man, this is a team that can just get it going. There's the Thursday night game against the Patriots. Like every yeah. time, Atlanta had a brutal back half to the schedule as is. Yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a toss-up for me. Either of these teams could win. I'm not, I don't have faith in, in, in either of them, in all honesty. Um, but I'll talk about a team that I have even less faith in, and that's the Houston Texans when they travel or when they uh, host the Seattle Seahawks this week. 
Uh, big injury news, Seattle, who finally wins a game, loses Jamal Adams for the rest of the year, placed on injured reserve. And he's been playing so well. He had as many interceptions this year as he'd had in his entire career, too. Um, as many as Vince Wilfork. Exactly, yeah. He's now tied with Vince Wilfork for career interceptions. He's still behind J.J. Watt, though. Um, so, so uh, Houston did announce that they are going to be benching to Rod Taylor and starting Davis Mills. Um, for the rest of the year. For the rest of the year. Uh, there's nothing to like about Houston. I mean, there, there's nothing to like about Houston. They're too injured. There's no there, nobody gives a shit at this point. Uh, they're, they're not playing for anything. Seattle, Seattle wins this game. I mean, there's there's nothing to like about Houston. Yeah, Seattle kind of wins by default. Um, you know, like Brady said, there's nothing to like about Houston, and now the defense is just going to be worse without Zach Cunningham um, and with uh, David Culley like randomly benching their best players. Uh, because they don't meet up to what the team expects, whatever the fuck that means. Um, it's not like he knows what success is. Um, CX, Seattle just wins by default. Oh, uh, yeah, Seattle. Um, okay, this guy taking Houston as his underdog? Nope. Nope, <laughs> I already claimed my underdog. Leave me alone. That's okay, I can change it. Nope. Yeah, and he wants <laughs> to double the points. He wants to do it for four. No. Skyler, if no. I give you ten points, would you pick Houston as the underdog? Can if I can I keep Washington as my underdog? No, you only have one. If I or no, I'll I'll do it. I'll do it if I can keep Washington as my underdog. No, no you don't get two. Then never mind. No, I'm not gonna let you do that on the off chance that Houston wins because Seattle is a four and eight football team. Uh, <laughs> if this was if this was like if this was like they were taking on Arizona, then I'd be like, yeah, I'll give you ten points for it. But no. I'm okay, not. no, no, we're not doing. Yeah, Seattle's gonna win. Um, they seem to have found something to work with. Uh, last week. Um, which is, you know, just do what you're good at. Like, honestly, give DK Metcalf the ball. Like, when you're down by three points and DK Metcalf is only, hasn't been targeted at all, there might be a problem with what you're doing offensively. Like, just saying. No, I think that brings up a good point because, like, I think it's a similar issue to what, what we saw with Georgia against Alabama, right? James Cook, Dalvin Cook's little brother, wasn't targeted through or not not no not not cook uh, george pickens george pickens was not targeted through almost the entirety of that game he was a complete non-factor and whether that was because alabama schemed it that way or the fact that georgia didn't scheme him any plays is a failure on the georgia's offense you know um so that's a good point skyler seattle absolutely needs to get the ball in dk metcalf's hands because if you're getting the ball in dk metcalf's hands and the defense has to focus on that. Hey, guess who's left in one-on-one coverage? Tyler fucking Lockett is. And that dude is a monster when he can get hot. Um, speaking of teams that are hot, the Detroit Lions travel <laughs> to Mile High to take on the 6-6 six six Denver Broncos. The Detroit Lions, whose playoff hopes are still alive, mind you, won their first game last week in a uh, thriller, a, a fourth-quarter Game-winning drive led by Jared Goff. Jared Goff uh, gets his first career win uh, with the Lions as they beat the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Broncos, who are 6-6 six and six on the year, coming off of a 22-9 loss to Kansas City. We're going to kick it off here with Mitch. Who are you taking, Lions-Broncos? Isn't it astounding that the Lions are still in the playoff hunt, but Houston's already been eliminated, even though Houston has more wins than the Lions? That's, that's astounding. Um I'm going to go with Denver. Um, 
you know, I think Denver's really rebounded from everything that's happened was involved Miller and just uh, the, the streakiness and stuff. Um, I think I just saw a statistic today that the, in the past four weeks, Teddy Bridgewater has more <laughs> touchdowns than Patrick Mahomes. Um, and with him doing better and with the you know, solid tandem they have in Belvin Gordon, Javante Williams, um, I think they can easily get uh, a win against the Lions. That's a weird statistic, given the fact that, you know, Teddy Bridgewater couldn't, you know, score a fucking touchdown last week. Um, well, I think you also have to remember that in the last four games, Teddy Bridgewater is 2-2, two and two, and Patrick Mahomes is 4-0. True. That's that's a big that's a big thing that you yeah. have to keep – because, like, people – I mean, I, how for how many years did we sit there and say, like, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers hasn't thrown for 300 yards in a game in X amount of times, and then when he does throw for almost 400 yards against Minnesota, they still lose. So – you know, what value do statistics necessarily have overall? I think that's a Well, yeah, it's like with Philip Rivers. He'll give you the 500 game, but it's not going to be a guaranteed win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also going with Denver. Um, as much as – like, here's the thing. Could Detroit win this game? Absolutely, fucking they could. Um, am I willing to bet my lead on the pick on it? No, I'm not. Um yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like because because again it, it's very it's very reminiscent of Nebraska to be they they are in these games, they're playing hard, they're a physical team, they want to run the ball. Um but Denver's defense had shown up even last week with uh them losing to Kansas City, their defense still kept them under 30 points. And I as as we talked at nauseum about this offense and what it has like the struggles it has, that's still an accomplishment. And that's something you should still be proud of. You were still in the game towards the end there. If you know, you don't throw the pick six to fucking Aaron Sorensen. Um, like Daniel Sorensen, Daniel Sorensen, like the worst, like the worst safety. <laughs> in pro football. You allow him to get a pick six. Um, yeah. So that, that's what it is. It's Denver for me. Yeah. It's, it's Denver. I mean, Listen, Detroit has has kept each of the last four games within a possession, including a win and a tie in that situation, you know, in those four games. Denver has not looked anything resembling consistent. This team started 3-0, and then they've lost four games, then won the next three. Like, it, they just have not been a consistent football team. I, I don't – serious conversation has to be made about Teddy Bridgewater. Statistically, he's looked solid. But when you watch Teddy Bridgewater play, there's no reason – that Denver should be struggling offensively. The wide receiver core is solid. They're just not getting the ball to Cortland Sutton. What they've gotten out of Javante Williams this season is astounding. I mean, that rookie has absolutely showed out. You're doing this without Melvin Gordon. You're doing this without uh, Bradley Chubb. You're doing this. Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, you know. Most, like, yeah. But, but, but so, so taking those injuries into consideration, you've still got uh, Noah Fant who, has kind of just become a, a side note in the Denver offense. It has basically been benched in terms of production for Albert Agubinam. Um, like, thank you. I've been practicing. Like, um, there's no reason for it. I don't know if maybe giving Drew Locke a chance is the answer. I don't. I don't know. But but a conversation has to be made about Teddy Bridgewater. With that being said, Denver is still going to win this game. Um, the Denver defense is still solid. I think the Denver offensive line is going to be able to hold up to anything Detroit's going to be able to throw at them. I'm taking the Broncos. Um, so, moving on here to Skyler, why don't you give us your prediction when the four and eight Giants travel to Los Angeles to take on the seven and five 
Chargers. Uh, the Chargers coming off of that dominating win on the road at Cincinnati. Uh, the Giants uh, coming off of a 20-9 loss in Miami um, without Daniel Jones. Uh, keep you in mind. Now, Daniel Jones has been ruled out for this game for the Giants, so it will be uh, Mike Vinny and Glennon. Yep, Glennon again. again. So, Skyler, who uh, you taking? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Chargers. As much as the Chargers have been inconsistent, uh, the Giants have been consistently horrible. Um, I, that's not the last time I will make that joke on this on, on in this podcast for the rest of the season because I will continue to make the joke because, God damn it, it's funny. Um, the Giants, I mean, uh, as much as we put an asterisk by Daniel Jones' this season, he is and, and he has committed turnovers, he's still part of the reason why they stay in games. He's he's a competitive drive and the willingness to to put his put his health on like his health on the line for the team is is part of what it makes him rely uh, uh, likable in that city. But the fact that Saquon has not been anywhere close to what he needs to be, um, or the fact that. Uh, you know, Sterling Shepard or uh, any Evan Ingram. Well, Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay. Galladay. Name, insert, skill position player for the Giants has just not shown up. And I think also something we have to remember is Blake Martinez being out for the season really hurt this defense. He was their leading tackler last year and was a leader on this defense. I know that when he was at Green Bay, he wasn't the best linebacker, but he's still a really good linebacker for this team. And the fact that he's out has really hurt them. Uh, the Chargers have been playing well. Um, their reason they're above 500, so I'm going to go with the Chargers. Yeah, I'm taking the Chargers here. Um, this would not be a game that I would be surprised if the Chargers lose, just given how their season has gone. But this is a Chargers team that, that has their own injuries to deal with, but they're still healthier than what the Giants bring to the table. This Giants defense could give Justin Herbert a lot of fits. I mean, this is a good Giants defense that we've seen really – force quarterbacks to struggle in a lot of ways. I mean, they got outplayed by Tom Brady, but but there were a, a lot of moments in that game, even against Tampa Bay, where the Giants' defense was really solid. The issue is, is that there's just no run game. There's no consistent pass game. Uh, the Chargers win this because they're, they're, just a, they're just a better team than the Giants are. Um, and, and even though both teams struggle with consistency issues, the Chargers are hopefully building a little bit of momentum from that 41-point win. Uh, 41 point uh, comma win against the uh, Bengals on the road there. So I'm taking the Chargers. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Chargers as well. Uh, even though the Chargers are not going to have Keenan Allen, Asante Samuel, and Chris Harris, um, the Giants are just really in a bad position, as we said. And I don't think Mike Lennon's making the, you know, big upset win. Um, and I think, uh, you know, John Mayer and Steve Tisch, the owners of the Giants, have to need to have a hard look at the, their football team because this is just a shit show from the top down. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on here to our uh, – to uh, really maybe one of the best matchups we're going to talk about this week, and that's uh, the San Francisco 49ers going to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Um, this is my underdog pick. I am taking the Bengals to win this game. Um, the – the uh, Niners uh, coming off of a tough road loss at Seattle after having won three in a row. Um, the Bengals coming off of that really tough home loss to uh, to the Chargers, and that's after putting up 41 points at home against the Steelers the week before. Um, I'm taking I'm taking the Bengals to win this game. I still the Bengals defense really gives me cause for concern some weeks out of the year there's some weeks where they look so solid and they're so smothering 
and then just a really terrible performance uh, this last week against the Chargers. But the thing that I have to keep in mind is that uh, the Bengals were in that game through the majority of it. The issue that the Bengals ran into was four turnovers. Now, granted, the Bengals' defense forced three Chargers turnovers, but the Bengals kept shooting themselves in the foot. I think the, I think the Bengals are going to avoid that. I don't see them doing that two weeks in a row. I am worried about Joe Mixon being questionable. He's a huge part of that offense. But I, I the, the 49ers' defense has been sloppy and wildly inconsistent this whole year. I'm taking the Bengals to win this game. I don't think you can take the Bengals as your underdog. Uh, CBS 49ers has, are... Yeah, but it's in Cincinnati. So the 49ers are the road team in their favor. Oh, yeah, that's right. So you can do that. That's right. My bad. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati as well. Um, even though they did have a tough week at the Chargers, I think they'll bounce back. Um, and with the some 49ers injuries like Dre Greenlaw being out, uh, which is a big part of the defense and Debo Samuel being questioned, uh, questionable, I think that's going to hurt them. And I think they need to be at full strength to beat a team like Cincinnati. So I'm going to roll with the Bengals. You know, weird turn of events. I'm the only one going against the Bengals. I'm picking San Francisco for this game. Um, for me, it's it's really Joe Burrow right now. Um, he leads the league in interceptions with 14. Um, and yes, you can have Cannon and Greenlaw and Hurst out. Um, but Tyler Shelvin being doubtful for this game uh, and Shadobia Wuzia and T Higgins both suffering through in going through injuries also just makes it and Joe Mixon going through his own injuries um, too just really just very quickly on that because there was an update for T Higgins he is fully expected to play in the game, okay barring any sort of pre-game setback fair I, I I'm just saying is that like even with you're right, you're right. him playing the game it doesn't mean false so like like that's something they have to take into consideration as well I totally agree that. San Francisco defense has been inconsistent, but even then being inconsistently, they are statistics wise, the better, like one of the better defenses and they're better right now at yards per game than, than Cincinnati. And that's something that Cincinnati does. They beat you on big plays. That's how they beat you with T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, whatever it is, it's a long run. It's a, it's a long pass that puts you on your heels. They hurry up the offense and then they score on you. That's how they beat you. Um, many, many a time we are seeing that they, they use their uh, kicker wunderkind uh, Evan McPherson to kick 50 and 40 yard field goals um, to try to keep them in the game. Whereas San Francisco is, is starting to score touchdowns i mean for god's sakes they've they've scored 30 points in three of their last four games 23 against seattle um and that i mean yes it's minnesota seattle and jacksonville uh but also the rams they scored 31 on um this offense isn't as structured through the running game as it used to be they actually are using uh Jimmy Garoppolo in that passing game to open him up. And I think we're all kind of forgetting that George Kittle exists. The guy went fucking off against Seattle. And yes, they still lost, but he had uh, 11 receptions, 147 yards, and two touchdowns in that game. Thank you to, uh, for, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for that because you're on my fantasy team and I needed that. Um, but like, that's something that, that needs to be said is that George Kittle is back. And since he's been back, he's been playing very good for this team and I don't know if Cincinnati's 
Cincinnati right now can, can counter that because Tyler, uh, wait, do you have doubt in the Cincinnati linebackers? I do. So highly of? I do because they also have to cover running backs in this game. <laughs> it's not you just a tight end and a running back. All right. So um, week so- 14, Skyler doubts <laughs> Logan Wilson's abilities. <laughs> so, um, uh, Mitch, why don't you kick us off with the Buffalo at Tampa Bay game? Buffalo coming off of that Monday night loss have a short week, have to go down to Tampa Bay to take on the 9-3 and three Buccaneers who have won three in a row. Uh, the Buccaneers still in solid contention right there with Green Bay for that one seed uh, just behind Arizona. Mitch, who are you taking? Uh, Buffalo versus Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay all day. Are you kidding me? The Bills just lost to a team that did nothing but would ran the ball. Um, so going against Tampa Bay, which, you know, they have the running backs to do it. They could just copy the game plan. But, um, you know, I think this is where the, you know, since it was so windy, the Travis Tredavious White injury really didn't matter. But I think in this game, it's going to matter when you have to go against the likes of uh, Gronk and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin's coming back. Um, and just the personnel that they have at the, you know, receiver position, I think it's going to really hurt them not to have Tredavious White to be that guy who can be you know, match up against their best receiver. So I think it's going to hurt them here. And I think Tampa Bay is going to win. Yeah, I'm also going to go with Tampa Bay. Uh, Tredavious White is losing is big for this game because even if you have the safeties that have played great, you still have, you know, Godwin and Evans and uh, they even – Scotty the guy Miller. Scotty Miller. Who's the guy that they picked up from – uh, the pa- practice squad this last week that just went off. Um, I can't even think of his name last week that he went, he absolutely was a tear uh, through the middle uh, in the slot. Um, continue with your point. I can find Okay. Um, Ronald Jones, the second, uh, Leonard Fournette, Gronkowski, Cameron Brates, OJ Howard, any of the guys, you can put any of them out there. They will do amazing. <laughs> Because Tom Brady is still their quarterback. I, I understand now why people hate the New England Patriots. Um, because as long as Tom Brady is their quarterback, there is nothing that this offense can't do. Because um, he's a coach on the field. He's able to diagnose. He is the smartest player on that field, not just because of his own intelligence, but because of how many fucking games he's played in the NFL. Um, and their defense is, isn't last year's defense, but it's it's which is funny because it is last year's defense. Um <laughs> <laughs> but they're not the same. They're not as dynamic. As much as I love Levante David, he isn't the same linebacker that he was last year. He's still one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Maybe, maybe even better than Logan Wilson. Um, but, but it, 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 Tampa Bay's got this. Whereas Buffalo is struggling offensively to find something to do, and their defense isn't helping them right now. Uh, yeah, I'm taking Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is undefeated at home, and even though the the uh, Bills are four and two on the road, it, I don't know. It's just there, there, there's way too much doubt right now with the Bills, and I don't think that Josh Allen has really played that poorly. 26 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Um, it's just and, and and it's this bugaboo that we kept talking about for the Bills these last couple of seasons. It is the complete lack of a run game. And don't get me wrong, they still average more running yards per game than Tampa Bay does. Tampa Bay uses their run game sparingly, but when they do use their run game, they're much more effective at it than what Buffalo is. The Buffalo defense has has issues. Not having Tredavious White is, is really going to hurt them. Tampa Bay is on a grind, and they've got that they've got plans for that number one overall seed. 
and they have to win out to do it. This is the most difficult game Tampa Bay has to play through the rest of the season. I think the remaining opponents are the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Jets, um, and maybe one more game against the Saints. Um, the Bills have an uphill climb, but I think they're just going to keep digging their own ditch. I'm going with Tampa Bay to win this game. Um, so, Skyler, why don't you start us off with our Sunday night football game when the four and eight Chicago Bears travel Green to the field? Okay. <laughs> um. I had to sit there. For, I did have to sit there for a second and think about if Justin Fields coming back was actually going to change the game. And then I remember Justin Fields was the quarterback at Soldier Field when they lost. Um, I still yeah, think it's going to be a close. I think that was his first or second career start. It was. He's much better than he was then. No, no, like no, even no, then, he. It was not. It was his fourth career start. Yeah. Even then, he's much better than he was then. Like still, like if you look at it, um, statistically, he's his best games have come from then. Um, and I think that part of that's going to help, but it's great. Green Bay is getting healthy, guys. And that's that's not good. That's not good for anybody. Well, because the fact, for us, it's well, amazing. For you, yeah, no, for you, it's great. <laughs> but the fact that Jair Alexander is healthy and he's starting to practice is <laughs> um, along with, you know, the fact that at some point, Bakhtiari will be back. Um, Aaron so Jones. Darius Smith. Aaron Rodgers actually practiced for the first time in three weeks today. Yeah, still been playing games, but has been practicing. Aaron Jones is practicing. Devontae Adams is practicing. Uh, all of them, they're all coming back, and they're ready to kill you. Um, that's not good, and I feel for the Bears, and I think that this will probably be the straw that big breaks Nagy's back. As he, If he loses this game, he'll officially have a losing season for the first time as the Bears has coach, which is really funny to think about. He hasn't had a losing season as the Bears head coach because they don't count playoff games towards the total record, which is very, unless you're the New England Patriots and you're trying to go 17-0 or 18-0. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, that's the only time they do. Other than that, they don't. Um, so, yeah, I, Nagy might get fired after this game. And Brady, if Nagy does get fired, can I get two extra points? If he gets fired after the game? After the game. If he gets fired after the game, I'll give you extra points. All right, so is it like 24 hours? Or is it like until... He... Before the next game. Before, before the, next the next game. game? Before the next game. No, 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 no. The next time they would practice would be Wednesday. So if he gets fired before their next practice, which is Wednesday, I'll give you two. Points. Okay, so I get a grace That's period fair. of like four yeah, days. I'll take it. I'll take it. Because yeah. I don't think a team – a team would fire a coach immediately after, but they wouldn't wait until the next practice to fire a coach. Like That's that. fair. So I'll say – Well, it is the Bears. I'll say, true. I'll say you have to Wednesday. Um, Thank you. I'll take it. I'm going to take I'm gonna take Green Bay. I – you know what? The astonishing thing is like Skyler's like, man – all these guys, Green Bay is going to get back. This is still a nine and three football team, with the exception of a seventy-nine yard touchdown and a fifty-four yard touchdown, completely shut down the Rams. Yeah, completely shut them down. And I know, I know what you're saying. Well, it's it's pretty shitty to say your defense shut them down. Besides these two massive plays that kept the Rams. In the game. Yeah. I get it, but but this Green Bay defense has looked better and better. They just look solid with that exception, with the two exceptions being the games against. Minnesota and the game against um, New Orleans to start the season off. Those are the two exceptions. This is a Bears team that was three and one, four and one, uh, three and one at some point at one point this season. They are uh, one and six in their last seven games. The only reason Justin Fields is starting is because Andy Dalton got hurt. Um, 
this is a Bears team that, that if they rely on David Montgomery has a solid chance to win this game and they are getting healthier on defense. The big thing is just how good to go is uh, Akeem Hicks going to be. And a lot of those Packers guys that, that Skyler talked about probably won't play in this game. I, I don't, and Mitch, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Bakhtiari or Alexander or Zedarius are going to be playing in this game. No, no, uh, so. no. Bakhtiari and Zedarius are projected to be back like late December playoff start. And Jair hasn't been uh, activated to the roster yet, but he is practicing. So none of them will be in this game. Right. And then just announced that they won't have Randall Cobb for this game either because of core injury. But, yeah, know, he had core surgery. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, uh, eat, eat, eat our words there. But Epidemia St. Brown has looked good the last couple of weeks. They've, they've had the success without having Big Bob Tunyon. They've had the success with the emergence of A.J. Dillon as a really solid back. Um, I'm taking Green Bay. I love their chances in this game. It's one of those divisional end-of-year NFC North games against it's the oldest rivalry in the NFL. Watch. We'll see how it plays out, but but I'm going to take the Packers. Watch if you <laughs> drop a touchdown that's taken back for a pick six. Skyler, I will, if that happens, if EQ drops a touchdown pass, I'm going to travel down to Wayne and slit your throat. <laughs> no, sa- save it for the D&D campaign. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to kill that character. Yeah. You like what that character could become. I, yeah, punish master, him in the D and D. As the dungeon master, I'm legally required to want to kill all of the characters at some point. That's fair. Um, I just might make it extra difficult for Theo. Mitch, who are you taking? Uh, I'm gonna go with Green Bay. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, Akeem Hicks is questionable, and we've said it multiple times on this podcast. Akeem Hicks is the glue, the leader of that defense. Without him there, there's a significant difference. So that's a thing to check out. Um, but even with Justin Fields returning, I still have faith in this uh, defense. Um, you know, it's I think it's at number five, number six, uh, total defense for whatnot. Um, you know, the run defense is like in the top ten. So even if David Montgomery, they do rely on him, I still believe, you know, um, in, our, in our defense and, you know, Razul Douglas and – you know, Eric Stokes have really stepped up, um, and I think they can get the job done. And, um, you know, a December game in Lambeau against the Bears, this is A.J. Dillon's theme song because that's the kind of back that he's meant for. He's meant for these cold-weather games, um, and the dude just trucks people, and it seems like every carry is almost a first down. So I'm going to go with uh, Green Bay getting the win at home. Alrighty, so then our Monday night showdown. Guys, we, after some uh, just a really shitty Monday night schedule, we've had two back-to-back pretty solid Monday night games. I think three, actually. Um, but we have the 8-4 uh, and four Rams traveling to the desert to take on the 10-2 and two, um, NFC leading and best record in the NFL Cardinals. Um, I will kick off the picks here. Uh, I'm going to take the Rams to win this game. I don't have m- – everything rationale-wise points to the Cardinals winning. But I like a little bit of crazy, and I like the fact – what I think works against the Cardinals is the fact that they won the first game on the road, and this is the NFC West. Like, this is this is the crazy division in football. This is going to come down to the end of the season here. I think if the Rams have any hopes of uh, hosting a playoff game in that brand-new stadium, it has to start here. They put a lot of it together against Jacksonville. But that's a two and ten football team, and this is a ten and two football team. This is going to be a much difficult uh, trip around. But I'm hoping that OBJ has caught a touchdown pass the last two weeks. Um, th- this is a Rams team that I think still has a lot of weapons and can do damage to the Cardinals. And this is a Cardinals team that has dealt with their own injuries. 
Kyler Murray's back. DeAndre Hopkins is back. But Byron Murphy Jr. is questionable. Zach Ertz is questionable. Um, there hasn't been much production out of guys like A.J. Green. Um, it, it, I, I'm going to take the Rams. I just like the Rams in this game. I think this is the craziness the NFL season has put forward, and I'm going to lean into it. I'm going Rams. I'm going to go with the Cardinals, and I'm going to pick them as my underdog. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites at home, um, so it's all good. Um, yeah, so I think they're going to win just because, you know, Kyla Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are just going to be a week healthier, uh, which is going to really help this offense. Um, and I think that the Rams have struggled when it comes to playing the top-tier guys. Um, you know, like it was just as Jacksonville. They can do it against the, you know, the worst teams when it comes to the big dogs, they always struggle. Um, and with OBJ having this back issue that kind of spurs up um, every game, it seems like, you know, they're really relying on Cooper Cup to be that guy, which he has been this year. He's doing a fantastic job. Um, but even if, uh, you know, Hopkins still isn't there the, and the Irks doesn't play, they still have the likes of Christian Kirk. They can go to AJ Green. Rondell Moore has shown he can be an effective guy. Um, you know, James Conner is just a touchdown machine. Um, so they have the personnel for Kyler Murray to do it with, even if they're missing some guys who can pick up the slack. You know what? I'm also going to go with the Rams. Um, <laughs> thus guaranteeing Mitch his free two points. Um, there's, there's some things that are concerning for, for Arizona. Uh, Charles, uh, Charles Washington is on the injured reserve. Iron they're long snappers on injured reserve. Do you know what the fuck that does to a person, to a punter? That poor punter has to work with a different long snapper and might just fuck up that game. I've, you think I might be joking. I'm not joking. I'm a Nebraska fan. I've seen how small, tiny things can fuck over your your uh, special teams. We well, just, uh, just, just we, we switched long snappers halfway through the season, and Mason Crosby leads the league in missed field goals. Like, well, it, even it's this. a valid point. Even this, Nebraska just got a log snapper from the transfer portal. That's how important that fucking position is. From um, Cornell. From Cornell. That's a smart ass man. Um, the original Big Red. Right. Oh, fuck you. Um, the, yes. Uh, but also, Zach Kerr is questionable. Brian Murphy is, Byron Murphy is questionable. And Zach Ertz is also, are all questionable. Um, and I just haven't liked what I've seen out of Arizona's offense in the last couple of weeks. Offensively, they're just, I mean, Seattle, Carolina, Chicago. They're not producing at a level that they need to through the air, which is something that you wouldn't think you would say about a Cliff Kingsbury offense, but they aren't. Uh, They're not doing what they need to do. Their running game is really kind of like relying on James Conner to just take the entire mode. And Chase Edmonds coming back kind of disrupts that a little bit. So we'll see how that works out. Um, and their defense has been doing great, but like Brady said, the Rams' offense is now trying is now starting to find its its foot. It between OBJ getting back to back touchdowns for the first time in forever, it seems like um, he's been doing great stuff. Daryl Henderson and Sonny Michelle are getting healthy. That offensive line is getting healthy. Matt Stafford is still Matt Stafford, the healthiest he's ever been in a long time. Um, and even if you don't have OBJ, you have Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby. There's other parts of this offense that is clicking. Arizona could easily win this game. Um, but like Brady said, let's lean into the chaos and appreciate the fact that we get another good Monday night football game. Absolutely. So uh, those are our picks. We'll move on to our hero and our putts before we wrap our episode. Uh, my hero uh, is very easy. It's uh, Demarius Thomas. Um, for those of you who don't know Demarius Thomas, 
uh, former uh, Bronco and Patriot wide receiver, uh, first round pick out of Georgia, won a Super Bowl with the Broncos, uh, passed away at the age of, I believe, 33. Uh, I think it was just yesterday was when the news broke. Correct. Uh, Demarius Thomas is one of the greatest stories in professional football to me. And if you don't know his story, I highly suggest looking it up. Um, but he was – Demarius Thomas was a good man. Um, Demarius Thomas was a good human being. Demarius Thomas did a lot for whatever community he was a part of and all communities he had ever been a part of. Um, I am genuinely saddened at his loss. Uh, he was one of my favorite players to watch. Um, I was genuinely saddened when he decided to retire. Um, I was genuinely saddened when the Broncos released him. Uh, Demarius Thomas is just a, an all-around human being that uh, uh, he's an all-around human being of the greatest quality. And if we had more men like Demarius Thomas, if we had more people like Demarius Thomas in the world, the world would be a better place. His, the story of him helping to get his mother out of prison, her sentence commuted by former President Obama, and the first game she ever gets to watch her son play is a playoff win against Pittsburgh in 2016. That was one of the greatest storylines in Ever. football. It's, it's Ever. one of the reasons you love the sport, you know? And and I am just genuinely and deeply saddened at his loss, but he's my hero because he showed he showed the world what a good person looks like. Um, he showed he showed the world that you can be an athlete and be incredibly humble and be a genuinely good human being, and the world is a worse place because Demarius Thomas is no longer a part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been really nice to see like just all the stories that have been come out since his passing last night of the kind of person he is from um, whether it's just like, you know, former coaches in the high school, college, the the pros, you know, from John Elway, his teammates, um, just like staff members or just people that just knew him. It's just been really cool to see all the stories that um, have come out about him. Um, And yeah, he was definitely a really fun player to watch. Um, you know, from Georgia Tech, I don't know what's with Georgia Tech producing these wide receivers, you know, Calvin Johnson, Demarius Thomas. It's really weird to see. But, um, yeah, it was it was fun to see him as a Denver Bronco. Um, and I'm glad that he was able to get to, you know, the pinnacle and win the championship. And then for uh, my hero, I am picking uh, – the little kid meme um, for what I'm talking about is the little kid at Popeye's, you know, he's got the drink, he's giving the side eye, like what the fuck is going on? Um, it just came out that, uh, you know, he's officially in high school and he won his uh, state champion uh, championship, uh, uh, whether it was last week or a couple of weeks ago. So shout out to him. And the only reason we're calling him that is because I don't know how to pronounce his first name. And I and I don't want it, it. To me, it seems so disrespectful to just not. It, I I don't know. It, it's somewhat disrespectful. But yeah, that's if you want to feel old, the Popeyes meme where the kid is just like, and everybody knows it. He just won a fucking state championship. That's insane. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, so I have two heroes, but but just a little bit about Demetrius uh, Demarius Thomas. Uh, like my one of my first crazy football games is watching that wild card playoff game. Uh, Denver Pittsburgh uh, because they had just changed the rules that if you that if you kicked a field goal that team got the chance and so we're all like okay so Denver needs to score a touchdown next play first play 
slant past Paul Mahalo wins it. Like that was that was back when Pittsburgh still seemed invincible at that time. Um, so that that, that was guy was great. After I, Pittsburgh had lost the Super Bowl. Yeah, to Green Bay. Um, like the like like Demarius Thomas is a great guy. I loved him when he was in New England for just that short bit of time. I wish we had used him more. Um, and I'm sad that he wasn't a part of our organization for longer. Uh, but I did, it's very sad to hear of his passing. Um, so one, it's something I already talked about these guys. It's a random guy at a fiction slam I went to. Uh, for those of you that know what a fiction slam, it's just a bunch of people reading short fiction. It's one of the most hipster things I've ever done in my life besides or owning like round rimmed glasses and wearing sweaters for non-ironically. Um, he made up a story about basically Tom Brady having an affair with Robert Kraft and then using Robert Kraft getting a hand job at a, at a masseuse for his reason of leaving and going to uh, Tampa Bay. I coupled this with Bill Belichick summoning uh, Lord Charles Cornwallis to destroy Tampa Bay so he can win the Super Bowl. Um, in Nike, the dog sacredly being Virgil, the uh, poet uh, whose master is Diogenes, the Greek philosopher. It was a mind fuck. I didn't know what to expect from it. Um, but if I find a copy of that story, I'm sharing it to everyone I possibly can because it was so fucking hilarious. Um, the other one is Big Ten Volleyball. Of the Elite Eight, four of those teams are Big Ten teams. Nebraska, Purdue, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Congrats, girls. They play tonight. Hopefully, they do amazing things. Very happy for all of them. I don't care who wins the thing, but the fact that the Big Ten continues to dominate the sport is amazing. And Big Ten Network, put it on your Big Ten Network. I don't want to have to buy the Big Ten Plus bullshit to watch Nebraska play volleyball because we're good at it, and we don't have sports we're good at, okay? Let me have some ease. Thank you. Way to go, ladies. <laughs> Televise their goddamn sports. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on to our putts, and I 100% agree with Skyler. More women's sports should absolutely be televised. Um, and especially, I mean, we're talking about, like, volleyball madness is is on par with March Madness. If you, if, if you watch a good volleyball, there is nothing more satisfying than watching your team complete a good rally in volleyball. Like, yes. I'm sorry. There is nothing more satisfying than yeah. that. Like, it's, it, it's amazing. It, 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 volleyball is one of those sports, like, growing up, I always had the perception of, like, it's not a real sport. Like, the real sports are, like, football and hockey and baseball and basketball. And those are the real sports. And everything else is, like, pretend. I, I had to Don't fuck with them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't fuck. I had to eat my words the first time I saw a live volleyball game where I was like, holy shit, how are they doing that? Don't, this is, this is, that? yeah, is, is insane, this is a six foot tall woman that jumps <laughs> four feet in the air and hits a ball on time at like 30 miles per hour. Don't fuck with these women. <laughs> no, they are, they are, yeah, they got like three feet on you, Brady. Yeah, I know. They're, they're Valkyries, and I respect them for it. Um, so, I, so, moving on to our putts, uh, my putts is uh, going to go to the Iowa Hawkeyes after a 42-3 drubbing in the Big Ten Championship game that they did not deserve to be playing in. Granted, Wisconsin didn't either. Wisconsin had their chance in the Nobody West. in the West did, um, honestly. <laughs> when is Iowa just going to wise up and realize that, like, whatever it is that Kirk Ferentz can offer you and whatever it is that dipshit son of his who's running the offense can offer you, 
isn't going to actually get you anywhere. And this is the same point I made about Wisconsin, which is that college football teams are going to have to quickly wise up to the fact that eight and four is no longer acceptable, not in the modern college football climate. And Kirk Ferentz is really good for getting you an eight and four season. But I am sick and tired of believing in the hype of the Iowa Hawkeyes. This team has not produced a goddamn thing in years. The one year they went to the Rose Bowl, they didn't even win the Big Ten Championship that year. But the one year they went to the Rose Bowl, they go mano a mano with a solid uh, Stanford team led by Christian McCaffrey and, and all-generational talent. But that was an all-generational Iowa defense, and they get absolutely clobbered. Every time Iowa has had the chance to do anything effective, they've shot themselves in their own goddamn foot. And a lot of it is the way that Kirk Ferentz coaches. Um, my, my plus goes to the Iowa Hawkeyes. Even just as a Wisconsin fan to watch Iowa get beat that badly in the big show, in the big game, brought me such an insane amount of sexual pleasure. And I had to be Iowa my plus. They're all pig people out there, the same as in Illinois, and the same as in Minnesota, and the pig people got slaughtered. Fuck out. All I have to say is that I really think that it's the fact that Nebraska is sitting right there next to them that fired a coach that consistently got them eight or nine wins that keeps them from doing it. I think that that's I think that that's a fair point, but like Kirk Ferentz has been there for twenty three years. At some point, you have to say, "All right, son, prove it." Like, like, True. what have you actually built here? He's never True. developed a quarterback. He's developed some great tight ends, some great offensive and defensive players, but he's never developed an NFL caliber quarterback. He's never developed an NFL caliber wide receiver. He's never developed an NFL caliber running back. He's developed. He's been good at developing a couple of defensive players, but never consistently enough. There is no consistency. Every time Iowa, Iowa is as likely to go five and seven as they are ten and two every single year, and it's solely on the whims of Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, uh, fair. Well, yeah, he's gonna stay there as long as he wants. He already said uh, he's coming back, and it's basically uh, touch and go every year. It's, it's his decision when he gets to leave. He's not gonna get fired. Um, for my putts, I'm going to go with, uh, Kirk Herbstreet. Um, he, t- after the college football, like rankings came out or whatever, he put out a tweet saying after seven years of bitching and complaining from a vocal minority that the college football playoff system is rigged and the small guy will never get a chance. Haven't heard much from y'all the last couple of days, everything. Okay. What's the next conspiracy theory? Can't wait. Cause that one is history. Uh, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, you know, it like he says in his tweet, it took seven years for someone who's not Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, or Georgia, you know, to get in. Um, and it is totally rigged against the small guy. Uh, Cincinnati had to be perfect, perfect to get in. They couldn't have one miscue to get in, whereas we've seen Alabama uh, can lose – two or three games or all their games and still get in just because they're Alabama. Um, I don't know what fucking university he's living in, but he must be getting paid by these big, you know, ESPN to say this kind of shit. Cause I don't know how he believes that. See, see, I know exactly who he's talking to. He's talking to my father who at 12 and 0 still thought Cincinnati wasn't going to make it in. Um, and for all the, like my dad, we have that argument every year. I'm like, like this team isn't good enough to get, I'm like, they didn't go undefeated and they, they, or they didn't win their, their conference championship. And that's really it. And strength of schedule. So like, again, it's all bullshit arguments, but it's, it's it exists for a reason. And I, I like my, my, my answer to it always is, do I want to go back to the BCS? Hell no. 
And do I want to go back to the AP and coaches poll picking the championship? Hell no. But does this need to be fixed? Yes. Very soon, please. Stop. I can't believe he actually tweeted it. He I, did. I just pulled up my Twitter and I was like, this, there's no, yeah. like, yeah, Mr. he actually Golden tweeted Boy, it. Kirk yeah. tweeted that. Yeah. I can't believe he yeah. actually tweeted it. Holy he almost shit. deserves a hero for it. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, okay. I like Kirk Herbstreet. I, I don't know how I feel on him day to day. So like, I never had an issue with him other than he's an Ohio state guy. Like, I, yeah, my issue, he's like, I just view him and Joe Klatt as the same thing. It's like, like that makes sense. Kind of. Okay. A kind of okay. Quarterback at an, at a college system that didn't succeed in the NFL. And now is just handsome enough to be on television. That's really like I view it as the same kind of thing. Um, but I like Joel Klatt a lot more than I like Kirk Herbstreet. Um, my putts goes to Mario Cristobal and the Alamo Bowl. It's like a mixture of the thing, because because <laughs> the Alamo Bowl decided to, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, decided to pit Oregon against Oklahoma, <laughs> which is fucking hilarious <laughs> because they both lost their head coaches, and Sunday night. While it was all going on, that the fact that uh, Mario Cristobal would probably be leaving Oregon to be going to Miami, he's doing a Zoom meeting with a with the Alamo Bowl, talking about how he's so happy to be at the Alamo Bowl and to be in this uh, historic game between uh, Oklahoma and Oregon and play against and coach against such a great guy, in Bob Stoops. It's fucking hilarious. It just goes into the veins of the uh the fucking brian kelly's and the uh uh riley lincoln riley Riley? Riley. i couldn't think of his first name i was got like mike riley wrong guy lincoln riley um and like these guys that like lied through their teeth about the fact that they weren't going to be taking jobs elsewhere we all kind of make fun of uh lane kiffin but the fact is the guy's honest (laughs) Like, like he's like, if I got the job, I if I got the offer, I'd take it. Like, yeah, at least he's on. Brutally honest, he was like, if LSU offers me the job, I'm taking. Yeah, because like, because that's a well, job that you want. You, yeah, like I respect you. You're a piece of shit for saying it, but at least you're a piece of shit and you're honest about it. Um, and then so there's that, like, Alamo Bowls. Like, I don't know if you knew this beforehand, but that was just shit. And then Mario Cristobal again, like you can't have like at least be you don't have to like go over the top like it like Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly and everybody else did at different points we can all pull up their quips of something that they said or something that they did throughout the season but Mar- like literally you know that you're negotiating your contract for Miami at that minute your agent's handling it for you right now while you're like it's, it's the same thing coaches are able to recruit one guy and then change their jersey and recruit the same guy for a different team the next day um, it's it, it is what it is uh, but yeah Done now. So, so that's our that's our episode, everybody. We appreciate you for joining us. Listen to the Forcing Sports Podcast. Have a fantastic day and a fantastic uh uh whenever the next time we see you. Bye. <laughs>